right. All right. Here is part two. The part two bonus episode movie review of My Girl. So Thomas J and Veda. Well, mainly Veda is swim up. Uh, no, she's fishing off the dock. And Thomas J's got his pole kind of set up where he doesn't really have to be holding it. No, Thomas J is hanging out in the willow tree, and he is balancing because he wants to be an acrobat. And, of course, she's like, big deal, I can do that, too. Because he's like, I'm going to be an acrobat. Like, oh, buddy. <laughs> it always kind of makes it, like, when people sometimes in movies, like, oh, this kid's talking about, when I grow up, I'm going to do this. And it's almost like, you know what's going to come. But the real kicker is going to come in a little bit when he has his last scene with Veda. And, of course, Veda notices that Thomas J's fish line on his fishing pole, he's got a bite. So since uh, Veda hasn't really caught anything, she's kind of uh, helping Thomas J here, giving him, you know, tips like, reel it in, let's go. He's probably got a big old whopper of a fish. I see a little can there that's got some worms. Don't worry, he made it out. He was kind of hanging by his hand, his hands and his legs on that tree limb, but he, he got down fine. So I want to play this clip as Thomas, she's like, ugh, it's got the hook in it. I don't want to take it out. And he steps, puts his foot on the fish to keep it from squirming around. And she's like, no, 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 you're going to kill it. Don't kill it. I'm going to play this part up to where they, she decides, hey, let's become blood brothers. Because she ends up getting uh, the hook kind of caught, cut, cutting her finger. Yeah, don't do that. You're gonna get it. So I noticed that when he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna pull the hook out so I don't have to touch it. I'm only touching fish," and she's like, "No, no, 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 no. Let me get your foot off. I'll do it myself." And the hook is already out of the fish, and it's lying on the dock. So what is she cutting her finger on? Because now she, when she takes the fish, it's almost like, here, i got to get the hook out of its mouth, when it technically you already saw it was. But, oh, I remember a cousin of mine had gotten one of those fish hooks stuck in his finger. Like, ah! I think what I'm going to do is wait till I'm done reviewing the movie and then kind of go to spots in the book so that way I can, you know, keep the pace going. So, yeah, she cuts her finger on that hook. She's like, hey, we can become blood brothers. And, of course, Thomas Jay's like, nah, I don't want to do that. It's like, well, you got a scab on your arm. He's like, well, it's a mosquito bite. 
She's like, well, it'll still bleed, won't it? He's like, ugh, fine. If I do it, can we leave? She's like, sure, sure. So he picks it. It starts to bleed. She rubs her finger on his mosquito bite. And you see, like, the blood mixing. Like, now we're blood brothers for life. It's all these foreshadowing moments. Thomas J. wanting to be an acrobat when he grows up. Them being blood brothers. Now we cut back to the house and... Harry is doing a death notice for the paper. Well, that's kind of nuts. So Shelly kind of walks in and uh, Harry stops typing like, oh, can I, do you want some? And she's like, oh, no, no. He's like, what are you doing? She's like, nothing. So, you know, she's got time to kill between um, preparing uh, makeup on the, on the bodies. So he actually is putting a notice in the paper, and he says, it's a service we provide for the family, which is nice, because let me tell you, obitu obituaries are not cheap. They are not cheap at all. You have a certain count, um, line count that you have to get, you know, depending on what you're paying for. And, the, and I never really thought much about it when it comes to writing an obituary. Um, you know, but after, you know, when my dad passed away, that day that he passed away, Nicole and I and, um, Pam and, you know, my uncle Ed and, uh, my aunt Janice, their siblings, we went down because we had to pick out the casket, we had to write up an obituary, and we are, we're all, and it was really hard, we are all, like, really upset, and especially my sister, and we were just trying, it's like you're trying to put in the words, you're summing up a person's life, especially if it's a parent. And I, I'm going to get my dad's obituary and I'm going to read it because it was just, it's amazing. It's, it's so beautiful and so touching. All right. Thomas Robert Rash, aged 65 of Lowell, passed away Friday, March 1st, 2019. He was preceded in death by his father and his children's mother. Thomas survived by his children, Nicole and Angela, and his mother, significant other Pam, and of course his brothers and sisters, and his grandchildren, and several nieces and nephews. Tom's lifelong passion was farming. He had the love of conversation and appreciation for everyone he met. And that's, that's pretty much the basis of it. It pretty much just sums up the kind of person that my dad was. And he was a people person. He could talk for hours with anybody he met. And it's just amazing. I never really got that part of him. I'm still pretty shy when I'm out in public. Unless I openly talk to somebody. But I'm not just going to go up and start talking to someone like I'm best friends with them. It's just, that's just, yeah. <laughs> I just, I mean, it is something to think about. You know, when a spouse or a parent passes away, what are you going to, how are you going to sum up their life? Or think about it. If you have kids or relatives and you pass away, what is somebody going to write about you in the obituary? How are they going to sum up your life in so few words? With me, I would love, to, anyone who knows me knows I'm an avid book reader. And I love animals. I like watching, you know, TV shows and, not, you know, with my podcasts and stuff. And I would hope 
that people would would say like I'm the quiet type but I'm kind and I'm caring and and stuff like that and it just yeah it's just you kind of got to wonder it's like when I mean I know you won't think about it after you're gone but that's what your family will have to put something together and just hope that they get the best parts of you in that obituary so Shelly picks up the newspaper off the desk. She's like, hmm, let me see. Ooh, movies, drive-in. I love the drive-in. And she notices that Love Story is playing at the drive-in. And she's like, I bawled my eyes out. And of course, like, she's like, oh, do you go to the drive-in? And he's like, mm, no, no, not really. A drive-in's not really my thing. And she's like, oh, well, okay, well, I guess I'll uh, go do something else, you know, and as she goes to the door, he's like, oh, you know, I like to do the bingo thing. I like going to the bingo hall every once in a while. So it's in a way he's nonchalantly kind of asking her. It's almost like he's not even really thinking about it. Like, oh, I like to do this. So, of course, she's so far they've just been employee-employer relationship and nothing else. But... You know, it's like, hey, if, if, if you want to go, I mean, I'm going, um, you know, to play bingo. If you want to tag along, you're more than welcome to. Is that a family circus comic on the back? It looks like it. And I like how she's reading the obituary that he put out there. Like, liking, like, the words that he chooses. Like, the in lieu of flowers. Which I think that's what they said with my dad's. She says Fabrizio and Heidi. And he says, put in lieu of flowers, please send donations to the Holy Name Society. So maybe that's like a, a church or something. So he says that he wrote that. She, oh, really? No kidding. I mean, maybe she just assumed it was an obituary from some other funeral parlor or the newspaper. She's like, yeah, in lieu of. I like that word, the word lieu. And Harry's reasoning behind that is, I prefer it to instead. It has more dignity. It does. It really, really does. And, of course, it's no big deal. And she just kind of folds the newspaper and looks at him like, Harry, please, you have to learn to take a compliment. <laughs> when was the last time that someone commented, complimented him on anything? So he's out of practice. When did, I want to see when Love Story came out, because this is 1972, and it sounds like she's already seen the movie, which then again, I mean, it's no big deal that you've seen some, like, like, oh, I remember when it, because I told Jeremy, it's the 25th anniversary this year of Forrest Gump, and they're playing it at the theater, um, later this month, and I, I, when, uh, I went and saw, um, a movie, I think even when we went and saw Aladdin, it was up there saying that it's 25th anniversary, we're going to be showing the movie, and I'm like, that would be cool, because I saw Forrest Gump in the theater with my grandma, and I think it was the first movie I ever saw that was, like, well over two hours long, and I told this to my coworker, I said, I re remember the scene where Forrest Gump is on the boat, uh, the shrimp and boat, and the camera, like, pulls outward, 
And it's almost like sometimes at the end of movies, that's usually what the camera does is it'll pull outward and the credits start to come up. So I got up thinking, oh, well, he's on the boat now. Okay, everything's good. I guess the movie's over. So I stand up and then I realize, oh, the movie's not over with. Okay. So I'm looking at the budget for Love the movie Love Story. It's 2200000 It grossed $136,400 worldwide like whoa wow when did this come so this came out in 1970 so if that's the case and it's 1972 it hasn't been quite two years but apparently there's a sequel called oliver's story which came out in 78 so it's eight years later and candace bergen or as you would probably know her as murphy brown plays the love interest um let's see Oh, there's a tagline. It takes someone very special to help you forget someone very special. Well, that is a kick to the crotch, if I ever heard. <laughs> wow. So, does this have a budget or anything? It doesn't. Well, whatever. I've never seen Love Story. So, she's really, she is hinting hard about, I don't think there's anything more romantic than seeing movies at the drive-in. Because she's like, oh, have you seen Love Story? She's like, no, I haven't been in the movies in ages. So she's really hinting hard at this drive-in, like, take me to the drive-in, Harry, take me to the drive-in. And he's like, Meh, okay, great, I'm gonna go back to, uh, click-clacking on the, uh, typewriter here. <laughs> she's like, oh, well, I'm not getting a response, so, uh, you know, I'll let you get back to work. He says, I do enjoy playing bingo. And he's like, if you'd like to join me tomorrow night, you're welcome to. She's oh, okay. And he's not even, like, his back is turned. She's got the biggest smiley grin. Like, ah! She's looking for someone to do something with. I'm sure Uncle Phil has tried to uh, probably hit on Shelly, but she's not interested. No, she likes Harry. Harry's a quiet, reserved type that she sees something in him. So, Shelly is definitely hanging out in the house more. She's putting on makeup as Shelly, uh, Shelly's putting on makeup as Veda zips past, and she's like, hey, hey, Veda, how's it going? Veda's never seen a woman put on makeup before, probably, so she's like, oh, what are you doing? Of course, a young kid sees someone putting on makeup, you think, oh, you going somewhere? Or you see someone go, you know, getting dressed and putting on different clothes instead of their bedtime wear. And I'm usually, oh, you going somewhere? And usually the response I get from Jeremy is, no, no, I'm making a trip to Ludington. He's, he's been saying this for years. He's not going to Ludington. But uh, that's always my automated response. And Veda's like, well, why are you putting on lipstick then? And, of course, Shelly's like, well, a girl's always got to look her best. It's like, yeah, I was never in, my sister wore makeup, probably even at a young, uh, like, probably 13, 14 years old and stuff like that. And I never, she never really, like, here, let's put makeup on you or anything. One time she did, like, uh, I think she colored my hair once and, like, like dolled up my face, put makeup on and stuff. And she was there. That's how a girl your age should look with makeup and everything on your face. Because I was, like, 17 at the time. I remember one time when I was at this uh, technical center, KCTC, and I was just, I was uh, my junior year, and I was just, like, really having a hard time going through stuff and depressed. And 
there was um, girls that were doing the cosmetics course or whatever it was. And like, hey, we need volunteers to do, we'll give you like a facial. We'll do your hair, put some makeup on your face. It's going to be awesome. And they did. And I look at myself and it's like, I almost didn't recognize myself. So I, when I went back to my class, some of the people were like, oh, wow, is that you? <laughs> but as an adult, no, I don't, unless someone's putting makeup on me. Like, like on my wedding day, then, I mean, I'm not going to go forth and, and, and do that myself. I mean, there's nothing wrong with anyone who wants to wear makeup. It's totally cool. I'm just, it's not my thing. It's just, I'm not, that's not what I like. So. Have you ever tried it? No. Oops. Veda, of course. Hey, Lundy. Um, my rabbit's out now. <laughs> she says, I think lipstick is fake. Nobody's lips are really that color. And. Shelly stops what she's doing and kind of turns to Veda, who's in the doorway watching, like, well, have you ever tried it? And Veda's like, no. And she says, well, come here, sit down. So it's like, yeah, I'll put a little lipstick on your face, on your lips. Veda is really hesitant, like, okay. <laughs> and of course the actress has already got some type of lip gloss type lipstick on to make, you know, her, her, her lips a little bit more, uh, stand out a little more. It's like, now you're just putting even more on. Of course, she also puts on blue eyeshadow. Like, a, a, she says, a girl can never wear enough blue eyeshadow. Whatever. Yeah, Shelly, that's your, that's your go-to. <laughs> Everyone's got their signature color, right? And it's the 70s. This is a cute, I want to play this clip. This is such a cute moment between Veda and Shelly. Take a look. It looks real nice, huh? Shelly, do you think I pray? Yes, Veda, I think you're very pretty. You've got these great, big, sparkling eyes. Cutest little nose. An amazing mouth. Boys at school don't think I am. They'll come around. Well, they're like 11. Close your eyes. I'm not going to think that way. I want to bring out gorgeous color in it. Now, the first rule in applying eye makeup is you can never wear enough blue eyeshadow. Do you like putting makeup on people? Mm-hmm. I've been trying to get out to Hollywood for years to do makeup for all the movie stars. I haven't gotten there yet. beautiful even though they're not mother and you know they're not stepmother and stepdaughter yet but this is a cute or even a little mother-daughter bonding moment between any parent and child where Veda is at the age she's 11 she's like Shelly do you think I'm pretty and Shelly of course like oh I sweetie I think you're very pretty you have these beautiful eyes that just sparkle and this cute little nose and meanwhile Veda's sitting there with this little handheld mirror just kind of like scrunching up her nose and like like her eyes get really, really, really wide. Like she's trying to see what Shelly is saying about her. And she's like, oh, you have this amazing mouth and it's just so, everything about you is so beautiful. And of course, Veda brings up how well the boys at school don't think I am. And I agree with Shelly. It's like, well, they'll come around. Like, sweetie, they're 11. And 11 boys aren't going to like girls like that yet. 
give it at least, I'd say, another three years. And the boys are going to be just climbing over themselves to get to you. So she says, oh, Shelly, you like putting makeup on people? And Shelly's like, yeah, you know, I've been wanting to get out to Hollywood to be able to, you know, put makeup on all the movie stars. But it hasn't happened yet. And, of course, I think Vanna gets a smidge uncomfortable. Like, ah, this is getting a little too, like, comfy. With the, and she's like, you know, Shelly, I definitely would hold off on that Hollywood thing. You're not there yet. Kind of like throwing in a dig there, like, okay, this is getting a little too much for me. So she goes out to show Thomas J. closes the door and Thomas J is sitting there on the steps Veda kind of puts her hands out kind of low close to her body and she's doing a little shimmy shimmy shake thing going on and you hear that music like doo 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 you know that little flouncy music and it's just really cute like and he's like right away he's like oh is your lip bleeding she's like no and he's like what's wrong with your eyes she's like Pfft. A girl can never wear enough blue eyeshadow. And the way that she's, like, just kind of lounging with a hand on the hip, just, like, gazing. And it's like she's trying to test out this boy theory. Like, oh, I got makeup on. Maybe he'll notice me. Like, oh, he's not? Okay. We're getting ready to go on a bike ride. And, of course, one of her streamers fell off, which, yeah, those things aren't really secured there 100% in the little handlebar. There's, like, a whole... I think I had a bike that had streamers once. And, of course, the thing fell. And it's like, trying to, like, shove it back in there. So it's not going to stay. So they go into the garage, because that's where her bike... Oh, that's where she noticed one of the streamers is missing. Maybe it rained, or, and she didn't want her bike to get wet. But, of course, it's a hearse in there... And she, uh, Thomas Jade's a little, like, nervous. Like, it's fine. Don't worry. There's no dead bodies in the hearse right now. So they start looking around, and Thomas Jade notices one of those fake, um, it's not a plastic head. It's more like, almost like fake marble. But it's like a skull that's, like, got, it's divided in patterns on the top. And I guess... Grand Moo had gotten it at one point to diagnose someone's personality. So, of course, Beta turns Thomas J into a guinea pig, like, sit down, I'll diagnose your brain. And he's like, what? No, what? And then she starts, like, touching his head. Then she goes over and puts her hands on the, uh, the, the, the fake head. And she's like, hmm, interesting. And he's like, what? She's like, you have no personality. It's like, where does it say that? Let me see that. And of course, and proceeding to look at this fake head, he knocks a box off, which they find some pictures of Veda's parents. Oh, it's a phrenology chart. They use to study bumps on your head. To see if you had a good personality. What is this crock-a-poo? Really? Well, I mean, it's like the 70s and stuff with all that, like... The crystals and, and, and the other things and the expanding your mind. I mean, this is probably one of those things. 
So she, like, pull, pushes him down into this crate and says, here, sit down. Let me diagnose your head. He's like, I don't want it. And she's like, come on, it'll be fun. Thomas J., trust me. Someone's fingers on your head, like, massaging your scalp, it's the best. That's why I love getting my hair cut and getting my hair washed by somebody because it's amazing how great it feels. There's a winemaking kit in here, too, right next to that head. That's gotta be Harry's. Or maybe it Phil stored it there. So I'm gonna play this clip as we see uh, Thomas J. pulling out the picture of... Well, that could have been... Maybe a little it might look like her. Hopefully we'll get a better shot of this picture. Because he's like, well, where's your mom now? And she's like, well, she's in heaven. And they talk. This is another foreshadowing moment as Veda's telling Thomas J. what her version of heaven would be like. Is that your dad? Yes. Who's that? Who's your dad? It's my mother. Do you remember her? Oh, well, he says, oh, is that your dad? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, well, who's this with your dad? She's like, oh, it's my mom. And Thomas J is like, well, do you remember your mom? And she's like, no. Well, maybe this looks like the, I'm going to look the actress up. That looks like, mm, I don't know. It's too, it's not too, too far away. And it's just a side profile, really. But so she tells Thomas J that Grandma said that, my mom's in heaven. And this is the discussion that they get into about heaven. And he's like, well, what do you think that heaven's like? I like that. I mean, this isn't a normal conversation that kids usually have with each other, I wouldn't think. They don't sit and talk about what their fantasy of what their version of heaven would be like. But I like Veda's version. It's a kid-friendly type of version. She says, I think everybody gets their own white horse. Everybody's friends with everybody. And on teams, when they pick for dodgeball, nobody gets chosen last. All they do is ride horses and eat marshmallows all day long. And everybody's best friends with everybody else. That is sweet. That is such a childlike wonder version of heaven. And I love how Thomas J is just sitting there smiling. He's soaking all this up. Like, that doesn't sound so bad to me. And Veda continues with, when you play sports, there's no team. So nobody gets picked last. Of course, Thomas J's 
fear is what if you're afraid to ride horses? And Veda's like, it doesn't matter. They're not real horses and they have wings. So if you fall off, you just land in a nice, soft, pillow-like cloud. Oh, she said they're not regular horses. I thought, sorry. Yeah, regular, not, not real. So Thomas J gets up like, all right, we got to find that streamer. And Veda takes her bike. They start heading out of the garage, but she goes back and takes the picture of her mother. All right, so now we cut up to Harry's bedroom. He's getting all dressed up, dolled up for his date with Shelly. He's going to go bing play bingo. And clearly, of course, Uncle Phil, you know, he's Harry's brother. And he knows the ways of the world, especially when it comes to how to treat women. Just that women are not different. They're different now in the 70s. They're more relaxed. They're more all about feminine power. They don't want you to pay for them anymore. They don't want you to hold doors open for them anymore. They're more about being independent. Free-thinking people. And, of course, Uncle Phil's wearing a tie. He's wearing a black vest over... A, it's almost like a tuxedo, but it made me think in the book, it says that he's part-timing as a bartender, so that would make sense. Oh, so Uncle Phil is the big brother, because he gets Harry in a headlock, like, Harry, 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 don't you know it's not nice to lie to your big brother? Gets him in a headlock, gives him a noogie, Uncle Phil! Oh, no, that one's Uncle Ted from Bobby's World, never mind. Noogies! Noogies! Dude, you, like, totally messed his hair up. He had it all going great, and you, like, messed it up. So he admits to his brother that he is going on a date with Shelly, and Phil's like, yes, it, this is so great. Let me give you some tips. And Harry's like, please, I'm nervous enough as it is. And Uncle and, and, and Phil's like, why? Why are you so nervous? Well, Harry hasn't been on a date in 20 years. He probably went on a date with his wife, you know, back in the day. Uncle Phil sits Harry down on the bed and says, let me fill you in on today's woman. And when I mean today's woman, I mean 1972 version. And he says, since the last time you dated 20 years ago, something happened. The sexual revolution, my friend. So before you had to hold the door, hold the door open for the woman, pull her chair out, pick up the check. No more. You don't got to do that anymore. And he's like, you want to know what else is missing? bras. Women are going braless, burning their bras. That's going to come back to bite them in the butt years later. Years later. I was working at Goodwill and this older lady, I didn't realize what it was. Like, what are those two lumps that are hanging down at her belly? But those are her boobs. Oh my God. Cool. It was so gross. Not only was this lady having the saggy boobs, but she wasn't wearing a bra to support them either. Like, you're out in public. You might have thought it was great to wear go braless back in the 70s, but please, you're in public. There are impressionable young children running around. They don't need to see. They don't need to see that. I don't want to see it woman's lib thing is in. And Uncle Phil's like, Uncle Phil, you gotta treat her like every Tom, Dick, and Harry. So what, he treats her like a guy? Like your average Joe? So she's bringing the RV over, and then they're going to take his car over to go um, 
the, the, the bingo hall. So, of course, Harry's heading down the stairs, passes Veda, and she's like, Daddy, why are you getting all dressed up to go play bingo when you've never had before? He's like, oh, well, um, you know, Shelly's gonna come and she and I are gonna, gonna go, you know, play bingo together. Oh, he says, I just want to look nice. And that's when Veda's like, well, you never cared before. So he says, Shelly's coming over. Veda's like, why? And Harry says, well, because she likes to play bingo. And of course, Veda's like, well, then can I go? And of course, no, sweetie, you can't go. Because somebody has to stay here and watch Grandma. Because she can't be alone. Again, you're putting that kind of a responsibility onto an 11-year-old. So, yeah, Veda's like, forget that. I am heading out as soon as her dad, like, walks out the door. She's like, all right, I'm gone. I'm going to go check on Thomas J, and we're going to go to that bingo hall. This sounds like something I probably would have done. I mean, I, when my dad started, you know, brought Pam over and everything, I wasn't too jazzed about that. And, but the thing is, I wasn't 11 years old. I was 17, Old enough to probably have a more of a mature mind about that. But it took a bit. It did take a bit for me to get used to the idea of Pam and her being in my dad's life and what that meant to our family. So I take it they're watching Gunsmoke because she's peeking in the door at Thomas in Thomas J's house. Thomas J's just chilling on a pillow sitting crisscross applesauce watching Gunsmoke on the floor while his parents are in side-wing armchairs. And she easily gets his attention, like, come on, come on, come on. So Thomas J comes out, and he's like, Veda, Veda, where are you? And she jumps out at him and says, ah, dude, please don't ever do that. Don't, don't do that. So she gets Thomas J to go with it. She calls him a pacifist. She calls him a bedwetter. And now we cut to the bingo hall. It's just a tent strung up with lights. And you got mostly everyone is seriously over the age of 50 on their way to the grave, apparently. They each, all of them got at least one foot in the grave and one foot on the ground. And Harry's leading him and Shelly to a table. And he's like, hey, don't laugh about this. There is actually a strategy to the bingo game. So uh, Harry lets Shelly in on this system he's got. Like, I play, he says that he plays the odds. He says, I use the laws of probabilities to avoid duplicate number systems. He's got, is there only two cards there? He says, this way you get much more activity. Yeah, because then if you got two cards and your eyes are like constantly roaming both of them and you got to be fast because you're calling those numbers, as soon as they call one, they're already on to pulling out the next number. Of course, Shelly is like trying to go with like, oh, really? Does it make it easier to win? And he's like, no, not really. It's like she's trying to flirt a little bit. Like, if this is his game, the bingo game, I gotta try to, like, find my niche here in this situation and work it in my favor. And he's like, no, just more activity. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> of course, he's a regular there because, hey, Carl, hey, Vern, as he sits down. And, of course, now we cut outside of the bingo hall. We got Veda and Thomas J out there. And he's, like, panicking, like, hey, they're not going to let us in. We're kids. She's like, we're not going to go in. We're going to watch. And he's like, why would I watch bingo? I don't even like to play it. It's like, then go home. Why are you here with me? And, of course, he's like, well, I can't be out by myself after dark. Like, ugh, fine. Just just stay there and quiet. Be quiet. So, Veda's being a little spy on her dad's date here. And 
Thomas J. Spots, uh, hold on. Thomas J. Spots, uh, Harry and Shelly, hey, there, there's your dad and Shelly, and Veda, of course, like, oh, I don't want them to see me. Sweetie, they are so far away, they're not even gonna know that you're there. Because they're actually, they're right underneath the booth. They're ducking by the booth of the refreshment stand. Shelly is just trying to have, she's having a good time. She's smiling. Look at all these little people here. <laughs> and she, ugh, I'm not, I'm not winning. Like, they've only called a few numbers. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you're going to win right off the bat. And she sees this old lady who's sitting across from her wearing, like, a female leisure suit. And the lady smiles at her, and it dawns on Shelly as she kind of whispers, like, Harry, uh, I just had this really sinking feeling that I could be putting makeup on these people very soon. And, of course, Harry's response to this is, why do you think these seats were free? <laughs> so Shelly's kind of a little frustrated. She's like, I'm not lucky. And, of course, Harry explains to her, it's not about luck. He says, a guy with 10 cards can win as easily as a guy with 100 cards. And, of course, Shelly kind of, uh, jumps on that thought and like, oh yeah, it's kind of like the, you know, with, with men. And Harry's like, really, how so? She's like, well, you can be a, in a room with a hundred men and not like any of them. Or you could be in a room with just one man and he's exactly the person that you need or you want. And of course, he looks at her, like really looks at her for the first time. Like he's understanding those words are sinking into his like, could she like me? And for adults, it's not, they're not teenagers, so they're not playing these little games. I mean, she's flirting, and he's getting these signals from her. So, of course, they look like they're about to kiss. Veda's going to put a stop to that as she's outside saying, Bingo! And, of course, she says it loud enough for the announcer, who's like 20-some, 30 feet away from her, to hear. Like, well, somebody who shouted bingo, please reveal yourself and of course two old men they're sitting right near Shelly and Harry are like how did someone outside get a bingo and of course the other guy is like somebody outside did not get a bingo somebody outside yelled bingo you moron and the the other guy gets really PO'd like uh who are you calling a moron and the wives are trying to like honey please put a lid on it and they're both, like, trying to calm their spouses down. And the guys start to get, like, they're sitting across the table from each other, and they're about ready to go at each other's throats. It's like, if I weren't 100 years old, I'd kick your rank ASS. And, and Harry finally jumps, guys, guys, please, it's just a bingo game. It's just a bingo game. Relax. Like, one of you is going to, like, have a heart attack, or both of you. Please, please. Oh, and Shelly, when that guy is like, how did somebody outside get a bingo? And the guy's like, somebody outside did not get a bingo. They yelled bingo, you moron. And you see Shelly is like either trying hard to like keep from laughing at the situation because it's just so freaking funny. It's so funny. She says, put a lid on it, Bernie. And he looks at like, put a lid on it. And it says, if you weren't 200 years old, I'd kick your wrinkled ass. And both guys are across the table going at it. Like, he's got, the, the guy who got 
his wrinkly arm like grabbing at this Vern guy and Harry's like right there and you see Shelly like put a hand on Harry's shoulder like Harry can you please get we don't fix the situation and you see other people from the table nearby are all turning and looking at this situation like well that's definitely a lively uh <laughs> well only at bingo night am I right <laughs> Vader's like, uh, you know, I think we can go, because finally Harry breaks in there, grabs them, like, hey, guys, it's fellas, it's just a bingo game, please. So, Veda is lying in bed, she's still dressed, she's waiting for her dad to get home, and she sees the camper kind of, you know, her dad and Shelly going to the camper, it's like, you can only imagine what's going on in the how many nights did I, like, my dad would, like, on a Saturday night, we go up to the farm for dinner, you know, my grandparents' house, and then it always guilts my dad, and it's like, well, you're going out, so why can't I go rent a movie? And he's like, well, you have a bunch of movies. I have, like, maybe less than 30 movies, which I'd seen him a billion dang times, which... And she's like, I want to rent a movie. You're going out. Why can't I rent? And he's like, fine, fine. We'll go up to whatever and you can rent. Um, like Parnell at the time, you go into this little small store. Like it's very, very small. And it's got one wall has movies on it. And that's pretty much it. Um, <laughs> and I remember one time my dad's kind of irritated. Like, Just pick a movie. So I pick out Son-in-Law. So, of course, I was probably, like, maybe 12 when I rented that. Because <laughs> we'd either go to Parnell, Parnell Grocery, or we would go to uh, Smyrna, which also only had, like, a little wall with some movies on it. So, yeah, uh... They get out of the car, and, of course, Shelly's like, I don't really want this evening to end, you know, in her mind. She's like, do you want to come see my house just for a minute? And he's like, yeah, sure. So, he's kind of looking around. This is the first time he's ever been in her camper. And she said, well, I read a magazine article about how to maximize small spaces. And that's just really cool. She's going to be proud of what you did, definitely. And, uh, she says, you know, if you want, you can look in the bathroom. I mean, people are always curious about that. Don't know why, but. <laughs> so he does. He goes in there. I think he even flushes the toilet. Like, yeah, totally works. Oh, I bet they're curious about the toilet because it's like, well, where does the water go? It's got to go somewhere. Well, of course, when his back is turned to flush the toilet, she's kind of, like, fixing her hair a little bit. And, um, she asks him, like, are you mad at me? And he's like, no, why Why would you get the idea that I'm mad at you? And she's like, well, you just seem kind of cool tonight. You weren't opening car doors. And, of course, Harry says, well, that was Phil's advice on dating 70s women. <laughs> I'm not listening to him ever again. And Harry also admits, like, look, I'm out of touch. I haven't dated in ages. Don't take offense. I'm kind of pretty much new at this. He says, not since my wife died. And, of course, this goes into the conversation about Veda's mom. So Shelly asks what happened to Veda's mom. And Harry says, well, it was complications during birth. And she died two days after Veda was born. And she asks, well, did uh, your wife ever see Veda? And he's like, well, I brought the baby into the room a couple times. And she opened her eyes. And, yeah, I, I 
think he's, he saw Veda. So his wife was probably in and out of conscience, consciousness and everything like that with, I bet anything was probably, you know, a lot of blood loss or maybe they just couldn't get something under control. So Harry's a little nervous. He's like playing with something of, of Shelley's, whether it's a knickknack or something. Oh, did I uh, ruin this? I'm sorry. And of course, Shelley too kind of eased the tension. Like he's a little nervous and she says, dance with me. And he's like, here? <laughs> She's like, yeah, where else? Like, yeah, definitely Shelley's like, okay, I this question I asked is clearly getting him a little frazzled. Like, let's just kind of you know, ease back a little bit and just, get, you know, become more relaxed and everything. It just, it's a sweet moment that she is falling for this man, this quiet, humble man. So they're dancing and he asks, he says, bra? And she's like, see, you're not that out of touch because he's like, I haven't danced. And she's like, yeah, in ages, I haven't either. And <laughs> he's asking if she's wearing a bra. Oh, Uncle Phil, you and your lessons on women of the 70s. So, Shelly, at one point, while they're dancing, kind of sniffs uh, Harry's neck. And she's like, what are you wearing? And he's like, oh, it's uh, Old Spice. Phil says it's a timeless classic. My dad wore Old Spice. And I think later on I noticed he wore, uh, is it Brute? B-R-U-T? So, as you know, Shelly's been married before. She's had experience with men. I mean, Harry was married before, you know, with Veda's mother and everything like that. But he's out of practice. She's an experienced woman. She's going to go straight for the asking, like, do you want to kiss me? He's like, yeah. <laughs> Her face is right up to his, like, just begging for a kiss. Oh, no, she says, do you want to? And he's like, want to what? And she says, kiss me. And he says, yes. And she says, good. <laughs> and they kiss. It's sweet. So, of course, the cuckoo clock interrupts their kissing. Because she makes a comment about how he's good at kissing and dancing. So, they pretty much solidified now. They've moved from being an employee and an employer to being a couple. So, as he leaves... Uh, she's like, hey, maybe we could go on a date again, you know, try bingo. And he's like, nah, I'm tired of, tired of bingo. Let's do that, let's do that drive-in thing you like so much. Maybe we should try that drive-in of yours. <laughs> so, Veda, the whole time, was sitting there, or standing there at the window waiting for her dad to come out of the, the RV. So, we're at, the class looks like it's held in a college classroom, I'm guessing, and Justin and Rhonda wanted to do a little meditation group thing. So, you know, before class starts and everything. So, people are, they're, they're up for it. They're game for it. Like, yeah, sure, that sounds really awesome. And they all join hands and everything. And Veda, of course, is like, oh, I feel Justin's hangnail. And Justin's like, oh, no, Veda, no, you have to go deep within, inside of yourself. Your your aura. Oh, Justin's all about, we're going to send our vibes out into the group. This seems a lot like the pose that she's got her, her legs kind of crossed. She's got her arms out to take, you know, a person's hand on either side of her. It's almost like a yoga pose, kind of like. And they got the, um, almost like the, 
the twangy in a gut and a vita song. It's I mean it's not the song, but it's the kind of song you would associate with people who are trying to channel, you know, their find their inner peace. So, of course, Veda's like, I felt Justin's hangnail. He's like, oh, no, Veda, that's not what we're looking for. I want you to feel what's in my soul. Feel my aura. And she's like, I'm like 11. I don't think I'm allowed to do that. Like, you guys are, she's, a, she's 11. You gotta, like, put it in kid words that she can understand. So, later that night, Veda's in her bed, trying to sleep. She's like, I wonder if I can do that with Grandma and kind of feel into her soul. And Grandma's just like, it's, it's sweet. It's like a way, she wants to com communicate with her, you know, Grandma. Winnie, please be careful. Please, sweetie, get off the DVD player. You should not be up on this table. There's no room for you or really anything else. Alright, now we're in the store and we got... Harry and Veda, they're shopping for stuff for the 4th of July cookout that he's going to do. He tells her to get the lettuce, but to watch out for the rust when you get lettuce. Okay. I didn't know lettuce could get rust, but okay. I don't really eat lettuce, so. So, guess who else is shopping in the grocery store? Shelly's there with her own cart getting stuff for the big cookout that they're going to have. And she's like, hi, Veda. And Veda's got, like, Four or five ears of corn. They're like, hi. Like, why are you here? They already know, I think, sees Shelly as an interloper. So, of course, to add insult to injury here, Harry starts going off with Shelly and pushing her cart for her, leaving Veda by herself. Like, yeah, she's not liking that too much. And he notices, like, wow, you got a lot of potatoes here. And she's like, oh, yeah, it's for Shelly's famous potato salad. And, of course... He says, I'm definitely looking forward to that. Of course, right after he says that, Veda crashes the bottom of the cart right into her dad's ankles. I've done that to my dad before when we were getting groceries, guys. It's not fun. So, Shelly tells Harry, like, this is going to be my first 4th of July picnic in a long time. Veda, of course, uses this opportunity to embarrass her dad by picking up this ginormous Costco-sized thing of can of prunes saying, Dad, didn't you say you needed prunes real bad? Like, oh, God. Shelly's just cracking up at this. And, of course, Harry's like, Honey, I just put whatever you want in the car, okay? I don't care. So we get another voiceover from Veda, and she says that um, she had gotten a Ken doll, and then she got a Barbie doll, and then when Christmas she got a camper, and then afterwards all they wanted to do was hang wanted to do was hang out by themselves, so I didn't feel too bad when the camper went off a cliff. So it's like, I think she's kind of exhibiting what she's thinking she wants to do with her dad and Shelly. So the Sultanfuss Parlor has ex existed since 1907. Like, whoa. Everyone is doing the Pledge of Allegiance. Harry's on the tuba. They got the American flag. And we see this blue sports car Mustang, we later learn, with a bespectacled Afro guy and some other dude who turns out to be his brother. He came looking for the RV. He is Shelly's ex. Like, ugh. So the Afro glasses guy, whose name we'll learn is, um... 
It's Danny. And his brother's name is like Ralph or something. And now we're back in the backyard. And Phil is like, what are you doing, Harry? I told you you use fewer briskets. Now look at you done. These hot dogs and hamburgers are burnt to a crisp. I would They look dried out and nasty. You should have let Phil do the cooking. He clearly knows what he's doing. You clearly don't. So, Shelly's munching on potato chips. She comes up to check how uh, Harry's doing. And she's got her, her hair kind of back in a ponytail. And, of course, Veda is at the picnic table kind of getting stuff set up. And she turns, and she's got this glare, like, slanted-eyed glare at Shelly. Like, I don't like this. I don't like what's going on. So, of course, what does Veda decide to do? She decides to insert herself between... Her dad, who's manning the grill, and Shelly, who likes to, like, she's playing with Veda's hair. Veda is like, don't, don't. She's putting her hands up behind her. Like, don't, don't touch my hair. Stop it. Stop touching my hair. <laughs> and, of course, Shelly's not taking this as a seriously don't do that. She's saying, like, oh, she's, she's just playing a game with me. Oh, she's adjusting Veda's ponytail. And Veda keeps putting her hands up. Don't touch me. I gotta say, I love Shelly's outfit here. It's like kind of a blue denim with a black belt. It's really cool. The guy with the bell-bottom jeans and the not the boots with the fur. <laughs> this guy is just casually walking up someone's driveway into their backyard. If they recognize the camper's, you know, Shelly's, like this must be where she's at, because he got the information from her old employer of where she was going. I remember in the trailers, I think they did this scene where Shelly's like doing the fake prank, like, rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, yay God. And of course, Harry's like, I second that. Also from the trailer was the, hey, Shelly, you like seafood? She's like, yeah. And Vader's like, opens her mouth like, seafood. <laughs> Grandma's not even touching her food, I don't think. She's just kind of sitting there. But I mean, she's family, you know, even if she's not going to eat, it's like she's still going to hang out there. Of course, Shelly's like, that's attractive. And then as soon as she looks up, she's like, shoot. And she sees her ex and his brother have showed up. Like, great, they found me. Damn it! And she goes over to him, and he's like, hey, Shelly, who lives here? The Adams family? What's with the hearse? And she's like, Danny, what are you doing here? He's like, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Seriously? And she's like, oh, Danny, how'd you find me? <laughs> He's like, how do you think I found you? And I guess the brother's name is Ralph. Like, hey, Ralph. And he's like, well, you told everyone where you were going. I'm here for the motorhome. You gotta be joking. And, of course, I love Uncle Phil's comment. They're all watching this. And Uncle Phil is holding his beer like, these two people do not have a good relationship. I'm like, you think, Uncle Phil? They're getting into an argument here. She's like, hey, it's my camper. I paid for it. I've been living in it. The camper is mine. And, of course, Danny brings up that mutual asset. That's what the lawyer said. I got it right here. Let me pull out the paper. Dang it, this is my lease. That guy is gross with his glasses and his gross afro-like hair. Just vomit puke. And he's wearing... A jean-looking leisure suit. It's just, his whole outfit is just nasty. Everything about this guy is just utterly gross. And we cut back to Harry, who's hearing this guy say, it's not 
Shelly's recreational vehicle. And Shelly's like, will you keep your voice down? My boss is watching. And she's like, crap, I guess I have to introduce you, right? And of course, Danny's like, yeah, you got that right. Like, great. He's like, yeah, all right. <laughs> like, oh. and, and Ralph apparently decides to come along, too. Like, well, they don't invite you, but whatever. She's like, this is Harry, Phil, Gramu, and Veda Saltonfuss. And of course, Danny chooses Veda as, like, Veda Saltonfuss. And Veda's like, hey, I like my name. Like, you look gross, guy. <laughs> that, no, she didn't say that. That's me. Like, ill. You're one to talk. Have you looked in a mirror, sir? He's like, Veda Saltonfuss, tough break. So, Shelly said this is Danny and Ralph. They own the Dino Raphael Salon in Detroit. Well, judging by that perm, I'm not surprised the guy owns a salon. And she says, we used to be married, Danny and I. And of course, Veda's like, are you here to take Shelly back? It's like, gee, Veda, could you wipe that smile off your face? Because I think Shelly's kind of looking at her like, what is that about? So, Harry is trying to be... You know, a good guy. Like, hey, nice to meet you. We got some burgers and hot dogs if you care to join us. And Danny's like, nah, nah, nah. I just came here to get my wife's camper. And, of course, Shelly is like, ex. And he's like, my ex-wife's camper. He says, my ex-wife seemed to have ripped off my camper. And, of course, Shelly's like, well, Harry, honestly, seriously, he got the Mustang. So it's like, oh, my goodness. You're bringing your ex-marital issues into your, uh into your job. Not really, but the greatest thing to do. So he's like, oh, I got a paper of the property settlement, settlement, and he pulls it out. Oh, no, this is my lease. Like, good golly. He's like, oh, I keep forgetting things. I'm getting senile. Like, how dare you? Grandma has Alzheimer's. Oh, my gosh. Look at Harry here trying to be the, uh, the person who's trying to, like, reason with the guy. Like, hey, Danny. And Danny's like, what? And Harry's like, look, I know you've suffered a terrible loss. There's really nothing anyone can do to comfort you. And he says, I urge you to focus on the times you had with the camper. You know, the trips you took, the sights you saw. And Danny, of course, is just looking at Harry like... And then he looks at Shelly like... Are you and this guy, like, banging boots or something? Are you, like, is he boinking you? <laughs> and, of course, Shelly's like, what? That is a real bonehead thing to say. Why would you say that? It's like, that's her employer. I mean, sure, they kiss, but he doesn't need to know that. And and Harry's like, hey, look, you're not going to take her camper. And Danny looks at him like, well, oh, no. And he's like, well, it's her home. It's where she lives. Like, you're going to stop me. Really? So he goes and Danny grabs Shelly's arm, like practically twisting her arm, saying, you need to let go. You're hurting me. And, of course, Harry's seen enough. And he just takes his fist and goes, but right, like gut punches Danny. Danny goes down. And, of course, Ralph comes over and says, hey, what'd you do that for? And, of course, this is the first time that Harry's laid eyes on this guy. Like, who are you? And the guy's like, well, I'm his brother. And Harry's like, well, I guess you'll be visiting us pretty often, won't you? And Ralph's like, why? And Harry says, because if he ever tries to take Shelley's motorhome again, I will bury him in my backyard or my front yard. I haven't decided yet. And Shelly is just this look of surprise, like, oh my gosh, look at And Uncle Phil whispers to Veda, like, your father's a savage. 
<laughs> I never told you he had a wild streak in him. It's getting dark. That guy stayed the whole time to have burgers and hot dogs and everything? Wow. So of course, Danny and Ralph drive off, and Shelly says to Harry, like, you were pretty great, and Harry's like, is it really your camper? And Shelly kind of moves her hand, tilts it side to side, now we get the fireworks so they're watching the fireworks and harry asks shelly did you love him and she looks at harry and says i'd never marry anyone i didn't love and now we cut to the backyard where uncle phil and veda are watching the fireworks so she, uh veda comes to the realization while you know they're sitting on that porch uh, on that swing there she says Dad must really like Shelly. I never saw him hit anyone in his life. And of course, Uncle Phil is like, oh, yeah, he likes her. He likes her. And Veda asks, well, does he love her? And Uncle Phil says, probably. And the thing is about Pam, the way that she had this, this way about transforming my dad into this big, from this big grouchy guy into this, he's not a marshmallow per se, but... She made him tolerable to be around. Like, he was always his, usually his best self when he was around her. And Veda asks Uncle Phil, do you like her? And he's like, yes, I do. And I like how he says, I think she's very good for your father. And Veda asks, you know, why? And Uncle Phil says, well, after your mother died, sweetie, he was sad all the time. And he says, well, but before that, he was pretty funny. And Veda's like, my dad was funny? he wasn't so-and-so, but he had his moments. And he, Phil says, you know, now when I see your dad with Shelly, he just, he seems like the old Harry again. Like, life is just coming back into him. That's the thing about love with people. It's like, love can make you feel and, and just come alive again. It's like, love does things to people. It makes them f look you know, and come alive, and, and it, it's, it's hard to explain. It's just, I think it just depends on the individual. It's almost like when you meet someone and you're getting along with them, and that feeling, you're spending all your time with that person, and that feeling of not so much just attraction, but that that comfort feeling of almost like you're feeling like this person's my better half. Like, I can't see myself not being beside them and everything. And it's almost like you're walking on air. You know, you know the term, walking on air. You're walking, you're on cloud nine. And it's almost like, it's almost like this euphoric type, like endorphins are released. And it's just, it's an amazing, amazing feeling. Oh yeah, he, he says, well, your dad wasn't one of the Marx brothers, but you know, he made me laugh. We're back to the doctor again, for heaven's sake. Shit, can't you see it? As he's got one of those tongue depressors. And he's like, what? He's like, can't you see it? And the chicken bone thing again, sweetie, please. I thought we were past this. We're not past this yet? Oh my goodness. Shit, it's there. And he's like, well, there is no chicken bone stuck in your throat. In the book, it kind of describes it where she's got a sore throat and it just feels kind of scratchy. I think what she's ex probably experiencing is more like, um, maybe it's a sign of, like, uh, anxiety or being anxious or something like that's, I I'm, I'm not sure. So this is when she asked Dr. Welty, 
Are you sure those are yours? All those diplomas up there and those degrees? And he looks at her like, uh, yeah. Those are mine. I earned them. Okay, so Thomas J. actually is in the receptionist office and you know they don't have any other patients so she's got this giant needle syringe thing and she's turning it into a squirt gun which is so cool she calls it a water gun not a squirt gun i want to play this little clip with the nurse and with macaulay calkin and she's kind of asking him, like, do you believe that she's really sick, like she keeps saying? And he's like, well, not really. But then again, she lives in a house that has dead people coming in and all all the time. So she's one of those people that's like, if you can't beat them, join them or something like that. So. Thomas, let me ask you a question. Does Veda ever tell you why she comes down here so much? Because she's dying. Do you think she is? No. Why do you think she says that? Because she gets scared of all those dead people in her house. And you knew that saying, can't beat them, join them. Well, she's one of them. She won't be as scared. You know what I think? I think Veda's very lucky to have a friend like you. She's my best friend. So I like this how she says that you Veda is very lucky to have a friend like you. And he's like, well, she's my best friend. It's just, it's sweet. And, of course, he comes out of the office as she's walking, because she comes through, and, of course, the nurse says, how are you feeling today? And she's like, eh, as well as can be expected. So she's out in the hallway, and Thomas Jay's like, guess what we got? And Veda's like, what? And, of course, Thomas Jay proceeds to spray her in the face. <laughs> what the score cut? Was it the face or maybe in the back? Oh, he sprays her in the arm, and he takes off running, like, hey, I'm going to get you. Now they're in the woods. Oh, boy. <laughs> they did give her one. Okay. And since they're spraying each other, they come across the beehive. Oh, that ain't good. So I'm going to play this clip because you know this is what's going to happen. Thomas J, you don't go play with bees' nests. You know what's going to happen. And it's a big bees' nest. Like, mondo huge. Winnie the Pooh would have a field day with this. Thomas J, this is going to come back to bite you in the butt, bud. And she, of course, made us like, don't do that. You're going to get stung. Why do you care about this hornet's nest? Or this bee's nest? He's like, they're neat. They're really cool. Let's knock it down. Because he starts spraying it with that syringe water gun. And even Veda knows not to mess with that. And, like, let's knock it down from a safe distance. It falls. Bees start pouring out of it. And that's when Veda realizes, my mood ring, it's gone. And they start to look. Well, then Thomas J. right away is like, we got to get out of here. There's bees. They probably would have already been stung. 
I'm just thinking, think about this. What if Thomas J got stung by bees and even though they're running, he gets stung by the bees and he just drops. What's Veda going to be able to do? Would that have been just as traumatizing? Like, what if he got stung by all those bees and he had died while she was there? I don't know. Thomas J grabbed, like, let's go. You don't need to look at this beehive anymore. There are bees coming out of it. So they run down the dock to jump in the water. One of them's concerned we got our clothes on. Like, just jump in the water. It'll be fine. So, yep, they jump in the water. Veda comes home. She's soaking wet. And her dad, as she's going up the stairs to change her clothes. So... Her dad yells up the stairs, hey, get ready, go to the carnival, we're leaving in ten minutes. Veda immediately starts rushing up the stairs in excitement, only to be shut down when her dad adds, oh, by the way, Shelly's coming with us. Like, ugh. So, Shelly's trying to make conversation, like, hey, Veda, what's your favorite ride? And Veda's like, I like the freak show. It's like, he's being a brat. Of course... Harry being the dad with the dad joke. Hey, let's go on the sit on the bench and rest ride. And Shelly's like, I don't think that roller coaster agreed with your dad's stomach. So she Shelly tells Vita, you gotta watch what you eat here because one time I went to a carnival with my cousins David and Frank, and they both came. They ate hot dogs and came down with nephritis. What is that? It's a it's a kidney infection or something. Inflammation of the kidneys. And Veda even says, nephritis is a kidney disease. You don't get it from eating hot dogs. So she says, I'm no doctor, but they got really high fevers and their faces got very fat. Like, their faces, like, swelled up. Like, ugh. Yeah, don't eat hot dogs from a carnival. Ugh, I'd be a little weary. Stick to funnel cakes, elephant ears, and uh, cotton candy. Oh, and the fries. Don't forget to put pump, use the vinegar pump. And Shelly's going on, like, it baffled medical science, and they were in a magazine. Like, whoa! Veda is being such a brat here. She's, like, doing this fake, like, oh, I'm really interested in what you're saying, Shelly. And, of course, even Harry's a little bit skeptic, like, really. And she's like, they were! She says, popular mechanics. No, I mean popular science. <laughs> of course, Veda wins a fish by putting one of those little plastic ping pong balls in a fish bowl. That's kind of sad. They have all these fish bowls and you gotta like knock a, and even her dad's like, careful, you, watch you don't knock out a fish. <laughs> yeah, knock it unconscious. Here's your fish. You get the one that's not alive anymore. Everyone is like throwing, but they got like one, two, three other people besides Harry, Shelly, and Veda throw one. And even Harry's like, I don't even know which ball is mine anymore. She won. Good for Veda. She won a fish. Of course, Veda's holding up the bag with the fish. Like, you better get that fish home ASAP. If you've seen the Seinfeld parking garage episode, you know that Elaine's fish did not make it. They were wandering around three levels of, like, parking, uh, parking parked cars for hours. And they, they're dead. They give you a limited amount of time to get that fishy home. And, of course, as Shelly's, like, got her hands in the big, oh, it's a beautiful goldfish. That's when Veda notices the wedding, the engagement ring. Like, oh, that's a pretty wing, ring, bleh, ring, did you win it? And, of course, this leads 
They didn't, he didn't even tell Veda that he was planning to propose, which is probably just as well, because, you know, Veda probably in anger would have, or spite, would have, like, blown the surprise. The way that Veda's like, oh, did you win it? Like, please tell me you won the ring. Please tell me it's not an engagement ring. And the look on Shelly's face, like, uh, Harry, do you want to explain this to your daughter? Because I don't want to. And Shelly's like, oh, we have something to tell you, Veda. He says, Shelly and I, we have good news. Shelly and I are getting married. Like, at the of all the places to tell her at a carnival. No wonder she drops her fish. They're like, oh, Veda, do you want me to get, want us to get you another fish? And she's like, no, 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 it's fine. Fish, he'll be fine. Fish are resilient animals. Oh, cars will get past the bumper cars. And Shelly's like, oh, come on, we gotta go on the bumper cars. And Harry's like, no, not. And of course, Veda's like, oh, I'll go with you, Shelly. Oh, she's like, uh, Veda's mind is like, I'm gonna do the payback for this. Yeah. Because she keeps hitting, Shelly's having such difficulty with the bumper cars. And of course, Veda seems like a pro because she keeps running into Shelly on purpose. So this song is Bad Moon on the Rise. As a kid growing up, you want to know what I thought this song was called? There's a bathroom on the right. Weird, right? Yeah. Did she still not find that other streamer to that bicycle? Now it just looks weird. Of course, she's got a backpack on. She's on her bike. She's going to Thomas J's house. Yeah, she's planning to run away. So she comes in and asks if Tommy J can come out. Thomas J comes down the stairs, and his mother's like, did you make your bed? It's like, yeah, I made it. She's like, did you really make your bed? He's like, it's made. Of course, he's got a milk mustache. She's like, come here, you got a milk mustache. And she uses her thumbs to kind of, like, get the milk off his, you know, off his little mustache. Just above his upper lip. Remember the milk mustache campaign? I think that was, like, in the late 90s or something like that. Early 2000s. And I like how Veda's kind of watching this because, you know, you know, Veda doesn't have a mother. She doesn't get these mother moments. So I think she's a smidge envious. She really is just, it's cute. So they get on the bikes and Veda breaks it to Thomas J. Like, hey, I'm going to California. I'm going to live with the Brady Bunch. You know, that fantasy. Thomas J's like, I want to go live with them too. And of course, Veda's like, look, they got six kids. All right. They'll be lucky if they can take on me. You'll have to go live with the Partridge family. He's like, wow, really? <laughs> what kid's fantasy wasn't to live with either the, the Brady Bunch or the, or the Partridge family back in the day? So they stop. Thomas J is getting exhausted. It's like, look, we've went around this place like a hundred times. We're not getting anywhere. And she's like, let's go, let's go. We've rested long enough. And he's like, nah, you can leave me here. He's like, ugh, fine. He says, we've passed this place twice and we're not getting nowhere. So Thomas J is like, hey, why are you running away? And Vader reveals, my dad gave Shelly a ring. Thomas J, of course, the nerd in him is like, oh, really? Was it a Dakota ring? Oh my God. The hard R, everybody. She looks at him, glares at him and says, you're such a, I'm not going to even say the word. She says, you're a mentally handicapped person. Well, no, she says the R word. She says, it was an engagement ring. And Tom, she's like, really? They're getting married? Now you have a mother. And of course, Veda's like, 
no, no, she's not going to be, no, I don't like her. And of course, Thomas Chase is like, well, I really like her. She's awesome. She's really nice. Oh, he says, I like her. She's real funny. Well, he says, I do. She's real funny. And of course, Veda admits that her dad likes Shelly better than her. That's why she's the jealousy's coming. Not the idea of having a new mom, because she never knew what it was like to have a mom, but because of all the attention that his her dad is giving to Shelly and not to her. Like, he already ignores me. Now he's going to ignore me times ten. They're hanging out in a tree, and then you realize when Thomas J gets down, and then finally Veda gets down because it's pitch black outside, She's they're hanging out in the tree in the yard. Like, oh my goodness. So, she just checks. Her dad's asleep. The TV's on. Grandma's asleep. Veda heads upstairs. Notice her dad didn't even know that she was gone. She says, I think, in her mind, I think I'll sleep with my window open tonight because I heard the Lindbergh baby was kidnapped. So, I'm looking at the menu here because I gotta go back to where I left off. And it's really cool how the scene selection of the DVD is open. Like, it's pages in a journal. And they have the funniest captions for these scenes. Of course, the scene that I'm at here, it's called The Facts of Life. We have Veda in her room with Shelly kind of talking to her. Since Veda started her period, she's freaked out. She thinks she's hemorrhaging up her, you know, hoo-ha. And she's screaming for her dad, like, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy! And Shelly's like, Veda, your, your dad's not here. And then it kind of clicks in Shelly's head... She says, did this happen in the bathroom? And Veda nods, like, all right, we need to have a talk. Which I'm thinking, yes, thank goodness for Shelly being there. Dan Aykroyd can't even talk to his kid. No way in the world is he going to be able to sit her down and talk to her about the birds and the bees, having the sex talk, having the period and all that stuff. Because he's a guy. He doesn't know the mechanics and how that stuff works. I believe there is a scene in the book. And I'm going to read that real quick. Because I remember the whole thing about the whole maxi pad feeling like a pillow between your legs. Yeah, it definitely does feel like a pillow. With my experience with that, I was 11, so I was right around Veda's age. And I already knew what a period was because I had an older sister. And the thing was, my grandma, like, almost pretty much forbade me to use tampons. Like, you're not using those. And I think when I was an adult, when I was living on my own, I tried one once. I'm like, this is uncomfortable. I can't do this. I'll just stick with it with what I've been doing for the last 10 years. Guys have no idea what it's like for girls. You get it once a month for at least a week for the course of 40 plus years. Oh, because Eve had to eat that apple in the Garden of Eve. Why? Oh, my. And she tempted Adam. Why? Oh, oh. All right, here we go. And this may be semi-graphic, so I apologize. Veda says, I went into the bathroom to pee, and that's when I saw it. Oh no, I was bleeding. Cancer. I'm. <laughs> I was bleeding, dying. The cancer, it had spread. Yeah, this girl <laughs> she is really not informed. I know it's 1972, but. Okay. 
I could hardly move for a minute. My pants, there was blood everywhere. Oh, God! I began to feel weak, my head funny, like I was fainting. Oh, God, the blood, it was draining out of me. Oh, my goodness. Um, I can imagine, like, the sight of blood probably makes people go woozy. I think that I had, not with myself, but, like, with seeing someone else or even seeing a picture of someone bleeding, it's like you get that, like, sick to your stomach feel, like, and that, ooh. So, Veda goes out in the hall, Daddy! I went out of the bathroom and raced down the hall, Daddy! I called. He wasn't anywhere. I ran downstairs holding the banister, feeling weak and dizzy. Daddy! Daddy! He wasn't in the hall. He wasn't in his office. I ran down the hall to the kitchen, family room, inching slowly, feeling the blood dripping down my... Ugh, okay, yeah, that's a bit much. That's gross. <laughs> no one was in the kitchen, not even Grandma. All the girls talk about getting their period, but this wasn't my period. This was way too much blood. I was hemorrhaging. I knew it. Okay, I don't think when you start it, you're gushing blood. If anything, you're just going to start to spot. That's usually how I'm sure it worked for me. I'm like, like, oh my gosh. Oh, yeah, I look down. Oh, what is this? Oh, yeah, that's right. I started my period. And I remember that, you know, me personally going up to the gra grandma's house, you know, the farm, and she was making dinner, and I just mentioned casually, like, oh, I started my period. <laughs> and I remember, because it was right after Thanksgiving, and we're, like, my sister had taken me and our mom to go Christmas shopping, and we stopped at Mr. Burger for lunch, and Nicole had casually mentioned that to my mom. It's like, oh, my gosh. Because I remember we were going to go to another store, and Nicole was asking me, like, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, the Dennis the Menace movie. And Nicole's like, well, I can't get you that. And I'm like, why? And she's like, because Aunt Janice is already getting that for you, and you better act surprised. I began crying. I couldn't help it. I ran back to the hall just as Shelly was walking in the front door. Veda, she said. What's wrong? Where's Daddy? Well, he just left. What's the matter? I'm hemorrhaging. What do you mean, hemorrhaging? I want Daddy. I want Grandma. I don't want you. I turned to run upstairs, but Shelly came and caught me by the arms. Veda? Shelly turned me to look at her. Did this happen in the bathroom? Is that what you mean? I nodded. How old are you, Veda? Shelly asked. I'm eleven and a half. Shelly sighed. Come upstairs with me, she said quietly. We have to have a talk. Yeah, the talk. Talk? I'm bleeding to death. No, no, you're not, she said. Come with me. It's okay. And for some reason, her calm made me feel calm. She took me by the hand like I was just a little kid. And weird, but I let her. She led me upstairs and into my room. I sat down on the bed and she sat down with me. Are you going to tell me this is my period? I said. She raised her eyebrows. You know about that? I nodded. Then why do you think you're hemorrhaging? She asked. I shrugged. I couldn't tell her how dumb I really felt about it. That all I knew was that some of the girls whispered about it and what the school nurse told us that one time. That it lasted five to seven days. Every month. And that we couldn't go swimming when we had it. But the nurse never said a why about any of it. Not even the swimming part. And she wasn't... And she also never told us it would be like this. It wasn't fair. 
Why did girls have this? Why not boys? And right then, when I asked, Shelly told me why. Right then, everything. Gross. I mean, it wasn't news to me or anything how babies got made, but I never knew about the rest of it. Why my period had anything to to do with it. It was disgusting, I decided. Just disgusting. Why did it have to happen to me? I wasn't ever going to have a baby anyway. Well, sweetie, you're 11. You, that's still too young to make that decision. I got up off the bed. I think I, sh I think it should be outlawed. Shelly just smiled. Beta, it's a very beautiful thing. And look, without it, there never would have been a Beta. I still think it's disgusting. Believe me, Shelly said. Someday you'll feel differently. Shelly gave me some stuff to use then, and I went in the bathroom. Gross. Oh, yuck. It felt like I was wearing a pillow. And for the rest of my life, or at least till I was old, maybe 45 or something, I couldn't wait to be 45. <laughs> get to be 45. I came back to my room. Shelly was waiting for me, sitting on my bed. You okay, she asked. No, you will be, believe me, she said. I went to the window and looked out. I saw Thomas J. coming toward my house on his bike. I watched him drop his bike to the ground, and then the bell rang. It's Thomas J., I said to Shelly. I don't want to see him. It's not fair. Nothing happens to boys. Go down and tell him to go away. Veda, it's all right, Shelly said. You can't hide for the rest of your life. Nothing's changed. Go on. Go answer the door. He's your friend. I just gave her a look, but she was right. I couldn't just sit in my room all day. Besides, I remembered I was mad at her. I didn't want to stay here with her. But I wasn't going downstairs either, not just yet. I opened the door and stuffed my head out. Thomas J., I called out. I'm up here. What do you want? Want to do something, he said, bending his neck back to see me? Like what? It's broiling hot out, he said. We could go to the lake and find your mood ring. Go swimming, maybe. Swimming? No, I yelled. How come? He stared up at me. It's hot. Go away, I said. Go away. Go and don't come back for five to seven days. And I slammed the door down hard. Yeah, actually, yeah, that is different because she actually goes to the door to see him and she pushes him back. All right, let's get to the actual scene in the movie, which pretty much in the book, that's about how it goes. At least in, in the book, you're hearing Veda's, you know, her POV, her what she's actually thinking about, that she knows what a period is. You know, they had, she probably had the sex ed class or the talk with the nurse, and all the girls in school are talking about, you know, getting their periods. That's such an important, pivotal time in a young girl's life because in a way it means that she's developing. She's, let's see. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Sorry, I dropped the remote. It was in my hand. I'm waving it around. Um, yeah, it's an important time in a girl's life. Your body is changing. You're becoming a woman. It sucks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and I agree definitely with the swimming thing because I was at a family function when I was maybe like 12. Maybe 11. Yeah, and I was on my period. And all the kids, it was summertime. The kids were going swimming. And my grandma's like, you're not going swimming. You may think you are, but you're not going in that water. I thought I'd be fine with just a maxi pad. Like, uh, no, 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 no. Sucks to be you. You're not going swimming.
also another tip, you never ever wear light colored pants. Never ever ever when you're on your period because you know that that stuff stains. Always wear dark colors. I'm gonna play this clip because this is funny. Shelly takes Veda up to her room like we have to have a little talk. The first thing out of Veda's mouth, my mommy and daddy did that? a wide porch because she she pushes him down and he skids across the floor of the porch it's like if that porch were short he'd be flying down those stairs and he has no idea what's going on like what's going on with you and he's like hey let's go swimming or something and she's like no i i don't really want to do that and she's like ugh just come back in five to seven days okay when i'm not on the rig not to mention did Shelly tell her about the wonderful cramps that she's gonna get? Because let me tell you, Mightall will be your best friend. Mightall, Pamperin, um, I thought Advil had some, like, menstruation pills that you could take, but they're really hard to find now. Um, yeah, I take two of those Mightall, and I'm out like a light. I don't know what is in it, but it knocks me out, so it's like, if I'm going to take one, I'll take one, and then, like, several hours later, I'll take a second one. But I'm not taking two together unless I'm going to bed. So that mixed, that and a sleeping pill, and I'm out for the night. <laughs> like, I'll sleep good. <laughs> Poor Thomas J. He's just, he's getting the raw end of this friendship sometimes. He really is. Okay, this is the scene. Um, There is a funeral, and, of course, Veda has been given the job to watch her grandmother but of course nature calls and she's got to use the bathroom gee what are dad and shelly up to they're making out just inside his office and of course veda's gone going in the bathroom because when you gotta go you gotta go and grandma gets the sensation like i gotta get up and sing i gotta have my moment so she interrupts this funeral and pulls a rose. Like, there's so many different bouquets of flowers. She just takes a rose. Like, she's standing on a stage in a in a 1930s nightclub getting ready for her big debut as a lounge singer. Yeah, and Veda's just sitting in a chair. Grandma's just sitting there. And I'm like... Veda closes a book. I'm like, oh, you're still hacking away at that War and Peace book? Like, that's some dense reading. Like, oh, 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 when is something going to happen? <laughs> I've never read War and Peace. I don't want to read War and Peace. I can't. Oh, oh, I just learned today. Guess what? Next, if you like the Hunger Games, next year, 
Susan Collins is releasing a prequel to The Hunger Games. Like, it takes place 64 years before The the Hunger Games. And I'm like, this is big. This is big. I, I gotta re- eventually reread Hunger Games. I really should eventually watch the movies again. But, anyway. And Veda does sell... She tells Grand Moo to stay there. Like, stay here. She isn't gonna listen. And the bathroom is, like, right across the hall from where the living room is. But Veda starts to go in, but she hears some noise. Like, ooh, what's that noise? Yeah, Dan Shelley, Mac and Hard. What in the world? That is inappropriate. You've got a funeral going on. What if somebody, I mean, you're running a business. Is this just outside his office? Like, oh my gosh. But Shelly's boots, she's wearing these tall boots that go, like, just below her knee. They're pretty cool looking. So, uh, Veda is, like, looking at them with a concerned and irritated expression. And she's still watching them make out. Like, just go use the bathroom, sweetie. You don't need to be seeing that. I can't, I, I don't understand why she just doesn't leave. I mean, you're already irritated that your dad is with Shelly. Why are you just sitting there for a good three minutes watching them make out? And of course, while Veda's back is turned, she doesn't see Gramu get up and start to wander around. I said it in the podcast earlier. They need to get professional help. Somebody in there that is equipped to deal with Grandmoo's dementia. Because, I mean, if he's running a business and he's got Grandmoo there and she's wandering around the house, unless they're locking her in her room, which, I mean, that possibly could be elder abuse, but she is so far gone in her head, she never talks to anybody, she doesn't look at anyone when they're sp- she's just in her own world. They really should have found a, I know it's 1972, they probably, I don't know what kind of facilities they had for the elderly suffering from dementia. And there are no doors giving any privacy to this funeral. It's just an open, like, large archway. And she just wanders right in. And everyone's kind of like, what is going on? Who is this lady? We're at a funeral. And this guy is an older gentleman, the one that's in the casket. And a lot of these people that are there, like, for the funeral... 85% of them are all gray-haired. They're all probably right around that guy's age. Except for one lady in the front who's probably a daughter. And she's got, like, she looks like she's maybe in her 30s or something. So Grandma goes up to the casket, pulls a red rose off of the casket. And you already hear murmurings of, like, who is she? What is going on here? And she just starts singing. Oh, it's the song, uh, Make It One For My Baby and One For The Road. I don't know the official title of that song, but... We cut outside of the the funeral going on, and we see Veda pull her head back out and turn and like, oh, crap, this is not good. And it goes on to the point that, uh, Harry and Shelley break apart. Like, what in the... Oh, you gotta be kidding me. And right away, Harry and Shelly are there to, like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
I will break, I'll cut you a deal on the bill. I will, like, cut it in half if you will still recommend us. I mean, they're the only funeral parlor in town, I believe. It's a small town, right? So I'm sure he's going to cut them a deal on that funeral. Like, this was unexpected. You don't even see anyone up there giving a eulogy, which they're probably just, and you hear the music, the guy, the guy who's going to give the eulogy is not even up there yet. No, it's as he's about ready to leave the room that Harry is like, oh, I'm very, very sorry, as he's pushing his mother out of the road, out, out, of, the, out of the room. <laughs> I just, I feel bad for them, but I just feel that Grandma is not getting the care that she probably really needs. Because he's, Harry is completely delegating all Grandma responsibilities to Veda, except for that one time that he was playing the tuber, tu, the, the, the tuba for Grandmu. It's like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. So, they take Grandmu out, and of course, Dan Aykroyd really lays, like, he gets, grabs her. I, he is really pissed. You have gotta be kidding me. He grabs her by the shoulders to face him and says, what were you thinking? It's your responsibility to watch her. Dude, she is 11. That is not her responsibility. That is your responsibility. You took her on. You brought her into your home because she needed to help you raise your kid. Because apparently you can't do that yourself. Which, it's good that... But then again, when she started faltering... And not being able to be helpful and more like you had to take care of her. Why are you delegating that to your child? And the fact that he doesn't even have a good reason. You were making out with your fiancé. How inappropriate. He just pisses me off. I get you can't relate to your kid or what. You can't even connect. Or what. He's not even trying to have a relationship with his daughter. The only time he's interacting with her is because he's telling her what to do, or he's correcting a mistake, or he's yelling at her for not watching her dementia grandmother. And he's, he's grabbing her by the arms and shaking her, saying, do you have any idea how upset those people are in there? She just, like, takes her arms and just, like, breaks contact, like, and she leaves, like, don't even go there. I would have gotten so in his face and told him off. But then again, she's 11. And even Shelly's just kind of watching as Veda, like, just leaves. Like, forget you, buddy. I would have told Harry off if I were Shelly. Alright, the famous kiss scene is gonna happen. Thomas J and Veda are hanging out by this not-a-willow tree. It's just a regular tree that has some, they basically ripped a willow tree, bald of its leaves, and just taped them on or used wires or something. Now I look at this tree, I'm like, yeah, that make we had a weeping willow in, in my grandma's yard for the longest time, and then when my aunt and uncle moved in, like, years later, I drive in, up there, and I'm like, something's missing. It's the willow tree, and she's, and my aunt said, well, the branches were kind of dead. The tree itself is dead. Because I remember, even as a kid, I was climbing on that tree. And those gross little cicada shells, <laughs> they even had a, you know, um, a swing on there, too. 
And it was really cool, but it's sad. It's like you could even see that that tree from from the road, from far down the road. It was so big. So Veda and Thomas J. Veda's asking the important question to Thomas J. Why do you think people get married? And of course, Thomas J.'s answer to this is, well, when you get older, you just have to. Well, not necessarily. But then again, this is kid logic, right? And this is where Veda reveals, I'm going to marry Mr. Bixler, which of course Thomas Shea, I'm sure he's not that surprised by because he knows about her Mr. Bixler obsession. But he's like, you can't marry a teacher because he'll give you all A's and it wouldn't be fair. Um, yeah, I love the fact that, you know, it's 1972. They're not, he's not going to say, uh, that's illegal. You can't do that. You're like 11. And he's, like, probably 26. Oh, he does, oh, he does say it's against the law. Okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right on, Thomas J. And she's like, it is not. And he's like, yes, it is. But his reasoning is because then he'll give you all A's and it won't be fair. She's like, no, no, that's not true. So she asks the question, have you ever kissed anyone? And he looks at her and kind of scrunches up his nose like, oh, like they do on TV? And she's like, yeah. He's like, mm, no. And I love Veda here. She's like, well, maybe we should, you know, just to see what the big deal is. Like, I like this. This is so cute and innocent. Like, you know, you see people kiss all the time. Well, what's the big deal? Of course, she's like, oh, well, first you got to practice on your arm or your hand, which, come on, be honest. How many of us kids practice on our arm, practice on our hand? Even in the movie Little Giants in 1994, um, the character uh, Becky the Icebox O'Shea was watching a couple make out in this boat. And, of course, her hottie toddy boy toy boy crush, Devin Sawa, he was my boy crush in uh, 1996. Anyway, and she's mentioning about you know, kissing, and she says, you want to know the problem with kissing your own hand? It doesn't kiss back. And he's like, oh, you want to learn how to kiss? And she's like, why, do you? And he's like, ew, no. I just thought I'd bring that. How many kids' movies back in the day did the kids kind of talk about kissing? Even in Now and Then, there's a joke about the whole French kissing, and how, like, have you ever been French kissed? And, of course, the character Chrissy is like, oh, I don't want to get pregnant. So it's just, it's funny, some of these movies, the conceptions that these kids build in their minds of how they think kissing goes. So I want to play this clip because it is just, it's so iconic. It's so adorable. I love it so much. This is probably one, other than the funeral scene with Thomas J., this is probably the second most famous iconic scene of this movie. Have you ever kissed anyone? What they do on TV? <laughs> no. Maybe we should just see what's the big deal. <laughs> but I don't know how. Practice on your arm like this. Like this? <laughs> Okay, now friends. Close your eyes. 
able to see anything. Just do it. <laughs> okay, okay. Peer pressure. She tells him to close his eyes, and he's like, but I won't be able to see anything. And she sticks her fist in his face and said, just do it. And I'm thinking, oh, peer pressure, yes. <laughs> so they go on at three. One, two, two and a half, three. And they kiss, and the surprise on, McCall, on Thomas J's face is like, wow. Of course... Veda's kind of like, okay, okay, say something, anything. It's too quiet. You got to say something. And Thomas J, of course, is like ripping up the grass with his fingers, like nervously. And she's like, well, you want me? And he's like, and you hear it come up before he even says it. And this patriotic tune. And immediately he starts to do the Pledge of Allegiance. They both stand. They both put their hands over their heart. It's just adorable. I want to see if the book, I'm sure the book's got this scene in there. All right, here it is from the book. After a while, I said, Thomas J., why do you think people want to get married? Thomas J. chewed on his blade of grass. I think when you get old, you just have to, that's all, he said after a while. I'm going to marry Mr. Bixler, I said. You can't marry a teacher, Thomas J. said. It's against the law. It is not. It is too. There's some rule. Besides, suppose you did. He'd have to give you all A's, and it wouldn't be fair. Dummy, I said. I'm not going to marry him yet. I meant when I grow up. What if he doesn't wait for you, Thomas J. said. I just shrugged. He'd wait. I knew. I sighed. And know what else, I said. My dad gave Shelley a ring. A ring? Thomas J. got up on an elbow and looked at me. What kind of ring? Ring. A mood ring? Not a mood ring. An engagement ring. They're getting married. Okay, so that kind of cuts it. Oh, I... Hmm. I think this is the... Here we go. Guys, I jumped ahead a little too fast. Found it! Alright, here we go. We were quiet a while, and then I asked Thomas J. Have you ever kissed anyone? My mother? I poked him with my elbow hard. I didn't mean that... He laughed. I know. You mean like they do on TV? He shook his head. No. I rolled over onto my stomach so he wouldn't see my face. I pulled up some grass. Maybe we should, I said, just to see what the big deal is. I don't know. I don't know, Thomas J. said. He sounded nervous. I don't think so. Here, I said, practice on your arm like this. I started kissing my arm, pressing my lips hard against it, making noises like they do on TV. After a minute, Thomas J. did the same. We both stopped at the same time. Okay, enough practice. Close your eyes. He slid backwards on his elbows across the grass away from me. Why? I won't be able to see. Just do it, I said. I followed him across the grass, leaning over him till my face was right above his. Thomas J. closed his eyes, but even with his eyes closed, I could tell he was nervous the way his eyelids were twitching. Okay, I said. On the count of three. One, two, two and a half. Three. I closed my eyes, too, then bent over and kissed him right on the lips. He kissed back, like really pressed his lips on mine hard. It felt like 
It felt like I pulled away from him. It felt, wow, Thomas J was looking right at me, very surprised-like. It was very quiet. Only the cicadas singing in the trees. It was really quiet. Say something, I said. He swallowed hard. Um, um, so basically, yeah, he sings the Pledge of Allegiance. That's really cute. Oh my goodness gracious sake. This is just, it's adorable. Aww. She is like maybe, like, maybe half a foot taller than he is. And it's just, they look so similar. Like I said in the beginning, it's like, they look they they could play siblings in a movie. They look that close. They look that much alike. Okay, well, guess what? I just noticed that Thomas J is wearing the same shirt. I think that he will pass away, like, because he's going to be going back to uh, look for the mood ring. And... This is the last time we see Thomas J. alive. They're riding their bikes back. And Thomas J. says, ask Veda. Well, because they're like, do not tell anybody about what we did. You know, the kissing. And they both do a spit shake on it. And then before Veda leaves, Thomas J. asks, Veda, will you think of me? And Veda's like, what do you mean? Well, I mean, if you don't get to marry Mr. Bixler. And... Veda's like, yeah, yeah, I will. And it's just sweet. It's a sweet moment. And I'm going to play because this is sad because this is the last time we see Thomas J. alive. says yeah I guess and she rides away like you know, it's just an average day she's not thinking this is the last conversation she's ever gonna have with her friend and you just see Thomas J's eyes light up and just he's just beaming with with happiness and just he he loves his best friend and it's just so sweet Oh my goodness, in the scene. Oh, Thomas J. Why? You guys could have looked together. Oh, oh. The fact that it had to happen. This is definitely the summer of lost, inno lost innocence for Veda. Definitely. Why are you kicking it, Thomas J.? That is. Ugh. If he hadn't have kicked that. Uh, how are the. How, how are the bees still in there? Wouldn't they have vacated that hive and went to go make another? I don't know the lives of bees. I don't know how they operate. All I know is I don't like bees. So he kicks it for added measure. Probably just because you know that he wanted to collect it because he likes to collect beehives. And he just thinks they're amazing. So he probably wanted to kick it just to make sure like it was empty so he could take it home with him. But then again, he's also looking for the mood ring, which he does find. And you see bees, like, pouring out, like, maybe a couple at a time, and then there's, like, a lot more. 
And he's bending down, kind of moving, like, the leaves out of the way and looking for the ring. Mind you, the ring is, you know, it's got a black stone in it, so it's not like it's going to stand out or anything. Maybe the metal glinting in the sun might help. And it's actually the ring, when he, like, pushes away the leaves, it's face up there. And he and the glinting band around the stone, you can see it. Macaulay's got a little scar on the top of his hand there. <laughs> but then again, boys, you know, always getting into mischief and probably getting cuts and whatnot on occasion and stuff. It's just because they have a close-up shot of his hands. Those are his hands, right? They're not someone else's hands? I think they're his hands. Picks up the ring and he goes to, like, because he's crouched down and he goes to stand back up. And you hear that buzzing in the background. Like, a ginormous swarm of angry bees. Like, we know you, you kicked our hive, you kicked it down, you hit it with a rock, and we want vengeance. This is just, it breaks my heart so much. I think that would be so many bees, getting sung by that many bees. He is such a small little boy. And yes, he's allergic to everything, especially bee stings. I don't think EpiPens even existed back in 1972, I didn't think. But that would be too many bees for even an, an adult to take on. And you think, you're like, yeah, Thomas J. run away. But they're surrounding him to the point where he can't even see. There's a cloud of them, like, circling his head and his body. And you see, like, he's saying no, no, as he's waving his hands around, like, get away, get away. And yeah, you're probably wondering, run, Thomas J. Run like you did when you were with Veda, jump into the lake. But he's so surrounded by them that he can't, and they're probably stinging him and, and ever, like, weakening his body and everything. And of course, that's not going to be in the book because Veda wasn't there to witness it. Because if she had been there with him while he was searching for that ring, she would have said, let's go jump in the lake again. This is so sad. They dragged this out so much of him constantly waving his hand saying, ow, ow, get away, get away. You see his glasses fall off his face. And bees kind of surrounding the lenses and the frames. Then we cut to the doorbell and a single finger pressing on the doorbell. Of course, someone's got to tell Harry what happened. You know, he's the one who runs the funeral parlor, the only one in town. So, of course, it's got to be him. And he's the one who's going to have to break the news to Veda that her only friend has passed away. Guys, I'm already getting worked up about this. This is just so sad. And that music is already kicking in. You see the police officer take his hat off. And you see the realization, you don't really hear, you hear a little bit, but you can't understand what they're saying. But it's pretty clear by the reaction of Danny Aykroyd, like, oh no. <laughs> you can protect your kids from some things, but there are some things that you can't. Now he has the hardest, probably one of the hardest jobs of his life is to tell his daughter that her only friend is gone. So he heads up to her room, sees that she's feeding her fish. He's like, oh yeah, is this the same fish that you got at the carnival? You know, he's making small talk before he has to break this news to her. It's like, she's like, yeah. He's like, wow, sure is getting big. 
I'm gonna play this clip, guys. I know this is gonna be sad, but, you know, this is really the only scene he really has, like, full-on having a real conversation with his daughter. So he starts by telling her that something happened to Thomas J last night and that um, he stepped on a beehive and she said, I told him not to tease those bees. <clears throat> Maybe I should go over there and yell at him. And this is breaking Harry's heart. He's like, honey, you can't do that. And she's like, why not? And he's like... Honey, there were just too many of them. He cut to Veda's face as that realization dawns on her. He's like, he was allergic to bees. Like, yeah, she knows. He was allergic to everything. We cut to the doctor's office as Veda is running up the steps. And she goes into, she goes into Dr. Welty's office in a panic and she's just crying for him, like, Dr. Welty, Dr. Welty. And he's like, oh, okay, okay, what's wrong, sweetie? She's like, it hurts, it hurts so bad, make it stop. And he's like, what hurts? And she's like, the bee stings. And she looks like she's full on, like, hyperventilating and just panicking. And I think what she's, like, her throat is probably closing up. She's having a, a panic attack. Why did they have to show them bringing in his body like that on a stretcher? So Veda's locked herself in her room. She's not coming out. Shelly brings up some dinner. She just leaves it right outside. And we go into her room. We see that she's curled up in a ball. Her room is dark. And Shelly opens the door. There's a knock at the door. It's Judy. She's asking for Veda. Is, is Veda home? And Shelly's like, yeah, she is, but she's very upset and she's not seeing anybody right now. And Shelly says, you know, just come back, like, maybe in a few days just to check and see how she's doing. I'd be like, but call first. So now we get to the funeral. Everyone's dressed in black. Shelly goes up to check on Veda, who will not open her door. And she says, well, the funeral's starting soon if you want to come down. So Veda's dressed in white. And, of course, everyone's dressed in black because it's a funeral. And... She's kind of looking, peering out the blinds and just seeing other people come in. She's seeing the hearse right out there and all these, you know, black cars. Now, Shelly is going to have a talk with Harry that definitely needs to be had. And she says, Veda won't come out. It's been a whole day. It's been a day. Let her grieve. I mean, Shelly, 
This is traumatic for her. This little girl just lost her best friend. She needs time to be by herself. But then if you think about it, she really needs her daddy. And Shelly is like, you have to do something. And she wants him to do something. You know, she's 11 years old. Her only friend in the world is dead. And, and she's saying, you know, you're hiding. You need to stop hiding. You run. And she's seen this family and how they barely interact with each other. And how he's using his work to hide from his kid and his responsibilities. I love Shelly's speech here. She says, when I first came here, the idea of working with dead people didn't thrill me. And she says, when I found out a family lived here, I figured if, if I'm living without a family, at least I can work with one. And maybe once in a while be invited in for supper. And Harry's like, yeah, and then when those dinners are interrupted by a car crash or because a little boy steps on a beehive. And of course, Shelly's like, I'm not asking you to stop feeling for those people. But he puts more love and care into his business than into his own child. And she says, but life isn't just death, Harry. Don't ignore the living. That is right. Thank you, Shelly, for finally getting through to this man. And she says, especially your daughter. Don't ignore your daughter. So Arthur kind of opens a sliding door to let Harry and Shelly know that the minister is about to start the service. So the pastor comes up to give the eulogy. Says, we are here today to honor the life of Thomas James Sennett. And he says that Thomas was born on May 7th, 1961. So he was born in Madison, Pennsylvania, where they all live. Okay. And the pastor is just, and you cut up to the upstairs where Beta finally comes out of her room. And, you know, he's just going on like he's survived by his parents and his grandparents and many relatives, friends, and schoolmates. Yes, thank you. At least Grandma is just staying in that chair. Definitely. We keep cutting back to the funeral, and now we're cutting from the bottom of the stairs where we got a long shot of Veda slowly making her way to the stairs, and then she's sitting on the stairs, and she's just, tears are running down her face. And um, the son, Thomas J's parents kind of asked the pastor if he would say a few words, and you see Veda sit down at the top of the stairs, and she just covers her eyes and starts to cry. And hmm, the pastor says, I have literally have no words. The only thing I can ask is why. Why did God choose to take this boy from us? And he says, I don't have an answer to that question, but I can tell you that God has chosen Thomas J. for some very special reason. And he tells everybody that we must find solace in knowing that he's in God's care. And Veda's finally made her way down the stairs and she's just kind of sitting on one of the steps. Her head is in between two of the rungs and she's just, she's just taking it in, just hearing the pastor talk. And then now he's reading a passage from the Bible of Matthew 19. So Veda's finally made it to um, the that door, that archway, and she's just kind of slowly 
just just taking it in like step by step step by agonizing step and yes i am going to play this clip because this is like one of the most famous scenes in the whole movie <laughs> His face hurts. And where is his glasses? He can't see without his glasses. Put his glasses on. Put on his glasses. He was going to be an acrobat. He's gone, sweetheart. He's gone. Oh my goodness, this scene, no matter how many times you see it, is so. It's so hard to watch. And the way that Veda goes up to him and just seeing him there, just not understanding, she goes up to him. The first thing she says is, do you want to go tree climbing, Thomas J? And she looks at his face. He's got the bumps on his face from where the bees had stung him. And he's missing his glasses. She's like, where are his glasses? He needs his glasses. He can't see without his glasses. And you see that Shelly is pulling Veda away. And the whole, and you see Thomas J's parents are just breaking down even more than they already are. And... David Hickroyd is really not, you know, Harry's no help. He's like, honey, he's gone. He's gone, okay? And, and Veda's like, he was going to be an acrobat. And just, uh, she finally is like, just let me go. And she runs off and she runs out of the, out of the house. And Dan Aykroyd is, you know, running after her. And he just finally just like, let her go. She needs her space. Of course, where does she go? She goes to the one person she feels can can help her and she goes to Mr. Bixler's place and he's like hey Veda what are you doing here I mean we were just on our way and I'm like you're on your way the funeral has already started what are you going to do crash the funeral you should have been there the reason that they're late it's because his new girlfriend apparently is trying to find her earrings or her shoes or something. You've got to be kidding me. And she stops at the bottom of the steps there. And he's like, Veda, what are you doing here? It's just on my way to your house. Are you all right? I'm so sorry about Thomas J. And immediately Veda goes into defense mode, putting her hands over her ears. And she's just singing the Dua Diddy song. It's like, I don't want to talk about it. He's like, he's trying to pull her hands off of her ear. Like, honey, honey, we don't have to talk about it. It's okay. We don't have to talk about it. And Veda brings up what Justin and Rhonda were talking about in poetry class about being honest and telling people what we really feel and think. And this is where she mentions how she wants to live with Mr. Bixler. She wants to marry him. Oh, she says, because they're sitting on the steps now, and she admits that she loves him. And she says, I love you like my dad loves Shelly. Oh, sweetie. This reveal just coming. She's doing this out of being she's upset she's worked up and, and she just wants to reveal this like this is oh sweetie this is not the time little girl this is just right on thomas j's death and the funeral and now she's gonna get a, a truth bomb launched at her and she says i want to live here and his response to this is i think your dad would miss you and she says no he wouldn't i can't go home and this lady, I believe her name is Suzanne. 
when did he, maybe he was already dating her when he fixed the house. That house looks gorgeous, by the way. Very beautiful. He did a great job. No, it wasn't him. It was the uh, set design that worked on that house. So, no, or it's just a house they're filming at. So they're late because she can't find her other earring? I'd be like, huh, all right. He's clearly not been dating her that long. Let her meet you there. Because the funeral's already pretty much happened. It's probably even over with by now. And you're going to show up late. What is the point? That angers me so much. It's like, that was one of your students. And you're going to be late because your new girlfriend can't find her earring? What a joke. Apparently Thomas J. isn't as important to him as we thought. I thought Vada, V-A-D-A, right? I know it's V-A-D-A, right? Oh, it doesn't say on the book. Maybe on the movie. Let me check. My goodness. Okay. Uh-huh. I don't... I thought V-A-D-A, but in the subtitles it's V-E-D-A. Like, what? Suzanne bends down to tell Veda, like, oh, I'm sorry about your friend. And Bixler's like, can you... Just give us a minute. And Veda immediately is like, who is that? Oh yeah, Mr. Bixler reveals that he and Suzanne are actually going to be married in the fall, which is funny because that's the same time that uh, Harry and Shelley plan to get married. But this is a truth bomb. Uh, Veda does not know what to do with this information. She is very shocked, and she starts to slowly back away. Like, oh, no, 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 no. It's like she spent... Over a year, school year crushing on this teacher, and now the fact that she put all her hopes and desires and wants into the idea of her wanting to marry him. And this is 1972. Maybe people didn't have long engagements back in the day. You know, he probably met her at the beginning of summer, and then they're going to have a fall wedding. So they dated for three months, he proposed. Boom, they're going to be... Or maybe he didn't even do the engagement. He's like, we're going to go from dating to we're just going to be married. There is no engagement, period. She immediately gets up off that step and step and slowly backs away from him, like, no, no, no. And he's, like, like twisting the knife even more. He's like, well, I was going to bring her to class next week so she could hear your poem. Like, you're adding insult to injury here with making it that much worse. Just the fact that you mentioned you two are going to be married. She just found out you're actually dating someone. You're going to be married this fall in probably about a month or so. And you want to bring her to class, to the poetry class, so she can hear Veda's poem. Why would Veda want that? Like, I don't know. Just, just no. And he starts getting up off the step and slowly, like, going closer to her. It's like she is trying to put distance between you and her. And you, like, getting, cl inching closer and closer to her is not helping. She wants to get as far away from him as possible. And she's just trembling and just crying at this realization that this man she put all her hopes and dreams in of wanting to marry one day, this fantasy she's built up in her mind, that bubble has burst. And it's like, here, now that that's happened, let's, like, add more fuel to the flame here and make it that much worse. He's, like, trying to get her to stay and putting his hands on her shoulders to, like, root her in place. And she's like, no, get away from me. She 
runs away now. Running like, I gotta get away from here. I can't be near you. I can't go home. So, of course, the next place she's gonna go is the last spot that she and Thomas J were at, which is the Weeping Willow Tree. This is a beautiful shot with, like, the sun is starting to set a little bit against, you know, it's the backdrop of this tree. Veda, of course, is climbing into the tree, and we hear Thomas J, she's, like, replaying his last moments in her head. So, Veda goes to the Weeping Willow Tree, and she's climbing in the tree, and the thing is, she climbed in that tree to hang out, the you know, the one that's in front of her house, but this tree's got some weird, crazy branches that go off every which way, and the fact that at the funeral she said he was going to be an acrobat, so she's almost trying to, like, balance on these tree branches. Like, if he can't do it now, then I'm going to at least attempt it. And we hear the voiceover from where she's talking to Thomas J, asking the question, why do you think people want to get married? And of course, Thomas J's answer to that is, when you get, whole, when you get old, you just have to. Which I like that kid logic in a way. It's just like, you grow up thinking, like, oh, yeah, because everyone around them that's older, a lot of the people are probably married. So it's like, yeah, it's just part of life. You do that, you get married, you move and, you know, get a house together and get, a, you know, all that stuff. It's just part of life. So she pulls out the picture of her dad and her mom. And it's just kind of looking at them. And we go to the dialogue that's in the garage between Veda and Thomas J as they're looking at the picture. And Thomas J asks, well, who's that with your dad? And she tells him, you know, that's my mother. And I love this violin. I'm going to play this little clip here. This violin music comes in and it's just so, it's so hauntingly beautiful at this moment. As you hear Thomas J telling Veda how he's going to be an acrobat when he grows up. And she replays the last conversation that she had with Thomas J, where he's asking her, what do you think of me, you know, if you don't get to marry Mr. Bixler? And then, of course, we go to, uh, we hear, now we're blood brothers for life, when she's kind of mixing her cut finger with his mosquito bite scab. Ugh, gross. But she's now balancing, it's like, Sweetie, she and she's wobbling. She's unsteady because, of course, it's like it's almost like you're on a, a tightrope. And I'm like, Sweetie, you're gonna break your neck. And she does stumble forward, but luckily she does not fall. We come back to the house, and it looks like you know it's dark out. They do have people looking for Veda. You know, cops and everything. Shelly's there, and Shelly is just worried sick. Mike. <laughs> Is this the same police officer or sheriff that came to the door when he delivered the news about Thomas J? Because he takes his head off. Put your head back on. She's going to think that Vane is dead. That is when you 
deliver, like, bad, bad news is when you take your hat off and respect. You do that, she's going to think, oh, my gosh, she's dead. Oh, my gosh, what am I going to, am I going to tell Harry? Because she's the one that opens the door, not Harry. I don't know what Harry's doing. Unless he's out looking for Veda right now, along with Mr. Bixler, and, you know, they have a search party of neighbors and stuff. They're looking for her. Shelly is still dressed in that black dress that she wore for the funeral. And he's like, we haven't found her yet. And, of course, Shelly's like, she can't be alone in the dark. And he's like, don't worry, we'll keep looking. She's like, We've been looking since this morning. And this is a small town. Nobody knows where Veda goes when she leaves the house. They don't know it's she and Thomas J. You know, they were just, you know, riding their bikes around town. They probably don't know about that weeping willow tree or that fishing dock. They don't know where to look for her. Seriously? Guys, I know it's 1972, but pay attention to where your kids are going. Learn where they like to hang out. And Shelly's like, well, her teacher called, and he told me that she went there first. And he's like, I know you told us that. Why are you rehashing everything we already know? That's not going to help us find Beta. And, of course, Veda comes in. Her hair is still in a ponytail, but it's kind of must now. She's got dirt on her clothes. This this cop, this police officer, sheriff, whatever, does not seem like he really cares. Like, I know, you told us that. We are looking for her, and we will keep looking. Like, he doesn't care. Or he's probably just so tired of listening to, to Shelly rehash the last, like, six or more hours of the day. Like, this happened when she left at this time. She went here first, then she left, and th th this is, it's like, he, he gets it. And Shelly's just overjoyed. She just puts a hand on either side of Beta's head, like, oh my gosh, you're alive. Thank you, God. Thank you. And she's like, are you okay, Beta? And Beta doesn't say, she's just not. It's like, yeah, I'm alright. And Shelly pulls Beta to her, like, oh my gosh, my girl, my sweet soon-to-be stepdaughter. You know, Shelly, she loves Veda, and I think that Veda could truly care for Shelly when she opens her heart enough to let her in. So now we cut to Veda's bedroom. It's really nice. It's backlit. It's, you know, with the little side lamps on either side of the bed, and Shelly is brushing Veda's hair. She loves Veda's hair. Loves it. Loves to play with it. Loves to, like, pull it back. All that stuff. And, and Veda's just letting her. She's probably like, all right, let's get you upstairs. Let's get you a shower, bath, get you cleaned up, get you ready for bed, and you can just tell me everything. And Veda is saying, I should have told Thomas J. he was my best friend. And, of course, Shelly's like, you know, sweetie, I'm sure he knew. And I understand, um, in a way, it's like... <laughs> When someone close to you dies, and you're probably replaying, like, the last time that you saw them, and things that you wish you couldn't have said, or wish you could have said but didn't, and I remember getting the call that my dad passed, and just, when Jeremy came home, I just said, I didn't get to say goodbye to him, you know, and I waited so long to call him. I, I thought, I'm going to call him this Friday or this weekend. I'm going to call him and talk to him. And and I I, I lost my chance. Hmm. That's why I say, guys, do not take 
these moments for granted because you will never get a second chance and you will never get these moments back. Always let someone know how special and important they are to you in your life. And you know in the back of your mind, like, yeah, they know. But it's like, yeah. But still say it. Even though you've said it a hundred times, still say it. Because you don't know when the chance will come that you'll not be able to. So, of course, Veda uses this opportunity to confess to Shelly that she did take $35 from the cookie jar. And she tells her, you know, of course, to pay for the writing class. And I like what Shelly does here. She's not angry because, of course, Veda's been gone all day. And then with Thomas J's death on top of that, she she's like, you know what? You, uh, <laughs> you get your first book published, you dedicate that to me, and we'll consider that payment. That will be my gift to you, is, you know. And I like that, mm. In the sequel, two years later, Veda is still wanting to be a writer. She wants to be a journalist. She wants to write poetry. I like that they keep that aspect about her personality. Even though she's changing, you know, her, not only her body's changing, but, you know, other, you know, facets about her and stuff like that. You know, you get older, not only, you know, some interests stay the same, some other things are different. But, um, I like that they kept that. They didn't make her a snotty teenager as soon as she hit 13. Oh, uh, Veda says, well, for a second there, it almost is like Shelly does seem a little bit irritated, but Veda does say, I'll pay you back. And she says, I don't think I'll ever go to class again. She says, you dedicate your first book to me, I'll forget the whole thing. I would, honestly, I don't know why, but I kind of would want My Girl 3 to see what happened to Veda and maybe... She's still living in that town, but she's a writer. Like, maybe these stories can be, like, a memoir and stuff of her growing up in a funeral home and losing her friend. Like, that summer of lost innocence in 1972 and stuff. I bet anything, that would be great. Like, maybe, you know, her dad passed away later on, and she and her... Spoiler alert in the sequel, she gets a younger brother. I think they name him Harry Jr., or maybe her brother is running the funeral home and, or something to that effect. I don't know. I don't know. It's just fun to think about. I'll, I'll, I'll brainstorm more ideas that I'll bring up when I cover the sequel. And, you know, she ta Shelly talks Veda in the back. I love how she sussed around. So, hug, hug. I want a hug. Huggies. Aww. I always do that with Jeremy. Like, hug, hug. Huggies. He's like, I don't wear diapers. I'm like, no, that's what I say. It's huggies. So, Harry comes home. Of course, he's been looking for Veda. Shelly is kind of stretched out at the bottom of the stairs. And she's like, Harry, it's fine. She's home. Don't worry. I got her. She's in the bed. And, of course, Harry goes up there just to check on his little girl. Like, oh, thank God. Thank you that she's safe. He goes in and kind of, like, pulls up her blanket and as he goes to walk out of the room, Veda, who's still awake, says, or asks, did I kill my mother? And he's just startled, like, 
Wait, what? He has no idea that she's probably been carrying this around for as long as she's been alive. And she says, the bees killed Thomas J and I killed my mother. Sweetie, just because your mother passed away when you were born does not mean that you killed her. That's a sad thing to, like, <coughs> keep thinking about. Oh, Jeremy's home. So, Harry pulls out a chair and sits down next to Veda's bed. And she pulls out the picture she's been holding of, you know, him and Veda's mother. They're young. They look like they just got married. Or maybe it was just before they got married. You know, standing in front of his car. And it looks like they're standing in front of the house, too. <laughs> so maybe it could have been, like, they're newlyweds before they had Veda. And he's not looked at this picture. He even says, oh, I forgot about this picture. Where'd you find this? She's like, oh, I found it in the garage. He probably put anything that reminded him of his wife in the garage so that way he you know it was probably too painful to to look at pictures and, and to talk about her and stuff and he says that little chevy was your ma mother's favorite car there was such a debate and i can't remember i'm sure i brought this up on a one of my podcast episodes in school because i lived in the country and all the you know in elementary school all the kids were like well these are like fifth graders or all like, Ford's better than Chevy, or Chevy's better than Ford. And they'd write it on the windows, like when the windows are fogged up on the school bus after it rains. And someone wrote that on mine, like, I, I'm, I'm not taking a part in this. I don't care. And the fact that you are debating over what's better, a Chevy or a Ford, and you can't even drive yet. Really? Give me a break. <laughs> And of course, Veda's going to ask, what was my mama like? And Harry said, well, she was very pretty and kind. And he says, she had your eyes. Oh, that's so sweet. And she loved to laugh. That is the best kind of person that just loves to laugh. Where their laugh is so infectious that you can't help laughing right around, right along with them. And that's kind of sweet how he says, sometimes when you laugh, you sound just like her. <laughs> Veda's laughed in this movie? I don't remember. I don't think I've heard her laugh once. Maybe a chuckle, but she laughed? When did this happen? Oh, and this is so sweet. When he tells her, you want to know what your mother did when she found out she was going to have you? She came home and painted this whole bedroom pink. She was so sure she was going to have a girl. And it's funny, guys. I'm saying this from memory because I've seen this movie so many times. And, of course, if Veda's 11 then, and this is 72, then she was born in, what, 1961 then? But, yeah, this was before, what, ultrasounds and stuff like that. So it's not like, hey, Quinny, how you doing, babe? Um, it's not like you could find out the sex of your child. Well, I don't know. Could you? Veda asks her dad, did you miss her? And Harry's response is, I did very much for a long time. And I'm like, 
you still don't miss your wife? Is that something that goes away over time? Like, because he's with Shelly now, does that make him... I, I don't know. I'm sure I'm reading too much into this, but... But he says that, you know, whenever he sees a pretty flower she would have liked or a beautiful sunset, you know, it makes him think of her and he does get sad. And I like how Veda says, I think whenever I see a climbing tree like a weeping willow, I'll think of Thomas J. Or, you know, if you see a little blonde haired kid wearing glasses, I'm sure that it will immediately bring you Thomas J to your memory. So this is a sweet moment here. We're in what looks like either a cafe or a coffee shop. And we got Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> we have Harry. It looks like he and Veda probably went after like lunch or breakfast. And he's sitting right next to this large window. And we see um, Thomas J's mother is kind of seeing him there. And she kind of knocks on the window and asks, like, can I talk to you? So she tells him, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm all right, but other times I really had to force myself to get out of bed. It's like, yeah, you had your son for 11 years and just to wake up every day and not see him coming down the stairs or sitting at the table to dinner. And I would think, I mean, yeah, it's 1972, but were there, like, things like grief counseling or, or uh, support groups or something like that. And I don't know, like, whether this is weeks after the funeral, if it's months after the It's a beautiful day outside. It's a beautiful day outside here. The sun is shining. It's supposed to be such a nice day today. And I'm so, so happy to not have to look at the rain for the second day in a row. Thank you. And she says, you know, I know it's crazy, but sometimes I think he's just away at camp. And she asks how Veda's doing. He's like, oh, yeah, she's doing much better. So a little time has passed that she is adjusting. Kind of like with Thomas J's mother, it's you take it one day at a time. That's really the only way you're going to get through it. Some days are going to be hard, like she says, where she doesn't want to get out of bed and face the world and face reality. But... You do your best. It's basically you're surviving at this point, and you're just taking it day to day. So Mrs. Senate, Thomas J's mother, asks to see Veda, and Harry goes in and kind of calls her out, like, you know, Thomas J's mom wants to see you. So. My goodness, this ending scene just. <clears throat> um, 
so she hugs Veda and she says, I've been meaning to, you know, come over and see you. And Veda kind of pulls away from her like she's a little, you know, nervous. And Thomas J's mom pulls out the ring and she says, he had this on them when they found him. And you notice how the mood ring is like a sky blue color. It's not black anymore. And she puts it on her on her finger. And it's just... <laughs> it's almost like you know that he's okay. And she says, you know, I hope you'll come and visit me. And she's like, I will. I promise. She walks away and Veda says, Mrs. Senate, Thomas J's going to be all right. My mom will look after him. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm getting a little choked up at that. Uh, but that's just, it's a sweet ending, and I like that. I like that. She's like, don't worry. My mom will keep an eye on him. She'll take care of him. All right, now we are cutting to the poetry class. Veda comes in. She says, I have a poem to share, but I can't stay. And everyone, she must have been gone for probably a couple weeks, which is understandable. You know, she's... You know, mourning the loss of her best friend. She kind of wants to be alone. And she's most likely not ready to face Mr. Bixler yet. So, turns out this is the last day of class. Like, thank you, Veda. Veda, and she comes in, she's wearing a dress. And he's telling everybody, he's kind of giving them words of wisdom through this poem he just read. And he says, be a thunderstorm and make a lot of noise. And just, it's almost like, be your best self. Let your voice be heard. And it isn't until he's like, oh, Ve when he turns from, because he's looking out the window, he's being dramatic with his words, Mr. Bixler is. He turns and sees her and says, Veda. And she's right in the middle of those rows of seats. And that's when everyone turns. And even the the... Whether he's a mechanic or what, you know, the guy, the angry guy with the poem. And he hugs her. Everyone just fell in love with this little girl. She's just such a sweetheart. And she just, you know, they claim her as one of them. Like, this mismatch of people from all ages, all walks of life, coming together to just share their feelings and and insights and everything. And it's just... Oh, it's so sweet. And she does hug Mr. Bixler. He's like, oh, I was hoping you'd stop by today. And she hugs him. Oh, the end of this movie, guys. Like I said, this just gets me so emotionally worked up. I love this movie so, so much. So she's going to read the, po the poem, and I'm going to play it because it's just, it's sweet. I want to look up real quick. I'm going to look up and see who wrote this poem because I know, you know, Someone wrote the poem. It wasn't, you know, the actress or any or anything like that. So, the title of, of the poem is called Weeping Willow. It's by Emma Jane Ray, R-A-Y. All right, so I'm going to play the clip where Veda reads the poem. He left you one day. Is it because he 
was he could not stay. Higher branches he would swing, too long for the happiness that they would bring. He found shelter in your shade. <laughs> he thought his laughter would never fade. So just listening to that poem and just, I mean, you know that Veda, you know, in the story she wrote it, but she didn't actually write it. But just listening to the words. Weeping willow with your tears running down, why do you always weep and frown? Is it because he left you one day? Is it because he couldn't stay? On your branches he would swing. Do you love the happiness that he would bring? So it's almost like, in a way, Veda, what she's feeling, she's kind of putting it, like, in a... Like, that weeping willow holds so much memory. I mean, think about it. At that lake, that's where she and Thomas J. first kissed under that willow tree. On the dock is where she and Thomas J. became blood brothers. That is where he was hanging from the, the branches of that weeping willow saying, I'm going to be an acrobat someday. And it's just, it just makes me think, you know, as she's saying these words, you're picturing, you know, Thomas J, you know, swinging from the branches and just the happiness of just a carefree summer day, your young kids. And you're not thinking of, I mean, yeah, Veda's thinking of death always because she's in a funeral home, but and you're just not thinking about the short amount of time that we have on this earth. And we do have a short amount of time, but it's like, if you live your life just thinking I don't have a lot of time on this earth and everything like that. And just living with the fear, like you're going to die tomorrow or so. it's like, then that's not really living. But then again, that's not what this poem's saying. So let me continue. He found shelter in your shade. We thought his laughter was never fade. Weeping willow, stop your tears. There is something to calm your fears. You think death, as you do, what? You think death has ripped you forever apart, but you know, I know that he will always be in your heart. It's like, even though Thomas Shea isn't there physically, the memories of him will live on as she goes on and gets older and everything. It's like, just because he's gone and, but he's always going to be your friend. He's always going to be a part of you. And those memories will never fade away so we hear the bump 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 of the my girl song starting to play and we get veda's voiceover we now cut to is this a library there are a lot of steps here and we see a girl in pigtails and she's looking towards the door so I'm guessing maybe Veda is seeing a psychiatrist or she's going to the library. And now she's got, you know, Judy's hanging. Thank Judy. Thank you. Get away from those other girls that were using you for your dad's movie theater. You have someone else now to hang out with. 
we notice Veda's not in jeans anymore. She is wearing a dress. As we get a voiceover from Veda saying things are a little better these days, she says, I finally swallowed that chicken bone. And by chicken bone, maybe she means that forever lump in her throat that just would not go away. She says that Judy and she are going to be in the same homeroom, so they are going into middle school or junior high, whatever you want to call it. I call it middle school. And she says the Republican Party just renominated Mr. Nixon. So this is before that whole Watergate scandal, I believe, right? So this is what I looked up. When was the Watergate scandal? The Watergate scandal was a political scandal that occurred in the United States in the 1970s as a result of June 17, 1972 break-in at the Democratic National Committee headquarters uh, office complex in Washington, D.C. and the Nixon administration's attempted cover-up of its involvement. Watergate hearings began on May 17, 1973. Public television aired all 250 hours of testimony that summer. Gotcha. So by the time the um, second movie, it's in 1974, by the time that time in that movie, then we would have had a new president, right? Wouldn't we? I wasn't alive in 1974, by the way. So Nixon was president from 69 to 74, and Gerald R. Ford came in in 74 to 77. Okay. They're both riding bikes. They both. She's got uh, that other streamer in her bike handle now. That's pretty much the movie. The girls are just kind of riding down the sidewalk on their bikes through town. So I want to play this little clip of a girl who's a lady who's interviewing Anna Klumski, um, you know, about my girl. And at this time, Anna Klumski, this is probably like maybe. Five year, I don't even know if it's five years ago or three years ago. But anyway, she asked Anna Klumski, like, how did you prepare for that scene at the end of the funeral? And I want to play this clip for you. This is what I was going to say, and, I, and, I, and I, I thank you very much for the compliment about raw talent and whatnot. But, but this is the thing, is kids all have raw talent. Like, they are all truthful by nature. You ever hear the, the uh, saying or adage out of the mouths of babes, it's because they are, like, tapped in to, like, the truth of the world. And so that's um, I, that's what that was. You know, my mom was like, well, picture me in that casket. And so then, you know, that's how that happens. Kids can imagine. They're imagining every day. It's not hard for them. They don't have the walls yet that we learn to put up as adults. And so when you go back to train as an, as an adult, you're learning to be a kid again. So that's... Um, so, so I thank you, but, but also that's kind of why I think it's like, because kids are, you know, kids, kids say lines right because, because they're in it. So guys, I want to say thank you for listening to this episode and just listening to my podcast in general. Thank you so much. Like I said, this movie will always have a special place in my heart. I love it so much. And definitely if you're a nineties kid, you know this movie. You know that end scene. So some of the other summer movies I would like to do that I did post on, you know, Facebook and the Instagram page would be a Goofy movie, definitely. It's a fun summer movie. Um, I'd like to get to the movie Timeshare, which I taped that off the TV when I was, like, in high school. So um, I definitely want to do that one. I haven't watched that in a long, long time. And I love that movie. It's just so funny. 
um, that came out in the year 2000. Um, the War came out in 93. They had Kevin Costner and Elijah. Elijah Wood, aside from Macaulay Culkin, was a big staple of 90s movies back in the day. You know, he was in Adventures of Huck Finn, which I'd love to get to that movie at some point. He was in The Good Son with Macaulay Culkin. And he was also in North, which I thought, you know, that that movie gets a lot of hate. <laughs> you know, he was just in a lot, a lot of movies. Uh, the Ice Storm, Flippers, another one. Maybe next summer I'll get to that one. Um, but definitely The War, that is also set during the 70s. It's set in Mississippi. And he and his sister, who's played by Lexi Randall, who... You would probably, if you've seen the Sarah Plain and Tall Skylark Winter's End, that trilogy series, she's in that. She really didn't do much else after that. But um, it's just, it's a good movie. It's set in the 70s. Everyone in that movie does a great job. The Cure, I know, guys, sad, sad movies. But don't worry, because I'll mix in, like, a goofy movie in timeshare to kind of, like, even up the, like, they're not all going to be sad. They're not all going to be about death. Um, but a couple, you know, the war is, is a good one, but it does, it's sad with a heartwarming ending. The Cure is another one that came out in 95. They had, uh, Joseph Mazzello from Jurassic Park. He played Tim and R.I.P. Brad Renfro. You'll know him from the movie The Client. He was also in Tom and Huck with JTT in 95 and also Sleepers, which came out in 96. And The Cure is such a good movie. It raises awareness about HIV. Um, Joseph Mazzello plays, um, what's his name? Dexter. And he contracted the HIV or AIDS virus through blood transfusion, much like Ryan White did back in the day. And Brad Renfro plays Eric, who the boys live next door to each other. It's summertime. They live in this southern town where a lot of people have kind of ostracized Dexter and his single mother like they don't want to have anything to do with that that family just because of the disease a lot of people were still very afraid of they didn't know that you couldn't contract it contract it just by like you know being on the same swing as someone else or drinking from the same water fountain and everything like that and Eric's mother both boys are kids of single parents or divorced parents. And Eric's mother is no different than the rest of these townspeople. And Eric starts spending time with Dexter and they become friends. And they form a bond. And of course, you can't ignore the fact that Dexter is sick. And the boys spend this one summer looking for the cure for, for AIDS. They find, they find an article in the, like, a National Enquirer type magazine. Like, hey, this guy found it in his backyard. Let's go on this journey on a little rafting trip down, like, the river, and we will try to find the cure for, and, you know, Eric just wants to save his best friend. So, it's such a good movie, and I, I look forward to doing that later this summer as well. So, yeah, that's what we have to look forward to this summer. I already have, you know, things planned for fall. I really would like to do 
just before school starts for Labor Day. I would love to do Stand By Me. I do have the novelization, so I can kind of do something like this, where I'm going from the book a little bit, noticing where scenes are different and stuff like that. So I'd like to do that one. Um, the War and the Cure are most likely going to be only on the Looking Back on My Wonder Years podcast page or um, podcast SoundCloud page just because, you know, their ratings and stuff like that. And I might drop a, a couple swears here and there. So, and Punky Power is just, it's a, it's a clean podcast. So, yeah. So, we are officially in summer as of yesterday. Also, I didn't mention Prince William had a birthday. He is like two months older than I am. <laughs> yes, I know that. I know that. Um <laughs> I'm not a stalker of Prince William, I will tell you that right now, but I've just thought he was so amazing, ever since I was 18 years old, and I had his pictures from, like, People Weekly, like, put, again, above my headboard, and when he turned 18, it's like, oh, and I just started collecting, cutting out pictures, so, been a fan of his since I was 18, but anyway, yeah, like I said, thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you guys, you know, you're enjoying it. You're listening. You're playing the episodes. Thank you so much. And I just hope that, you know, the episodes bring a smile to your face or you recall moments from these shows that you watched back in the day. And I love being able to recap and review them and just give my own two cents. It, it's fun. If this weren't fun for me, I would not be doing it. I would not have been doing this for over two years. I would have moved on to something else. But... I love what I'm doing. No, I don't get paid for it. I don't care. This is a hobby to me. And podcasting has been therapy to me. You guys know, if you follow along for a while now, uh, the loss of my father. Last year he was going through, um, he was battling cancer. And unfortunately he lost that battle back in March. And I've just said, it's like, this is my therapy. This is helping me deal with the struggle of losing my dad. And if this gives, you know, you guys, if you're suffering from, you know, the loss of family members or friends that you know that have, you know, you've lost to cancer or to someone who's struggling with it. Like, if this gives you comfort, then I feel like I'm doing my job. I'm giving you guys entertainment. I'm giving you comfort. I'm hopefully maybe even giving you advice. Then I know I'm doing a good job. So... That being said, it's a beautiful day out. I hope it's beautiful where you guys are at. Just enjoy the day. Enjoy every day that you have. Find the best that you can in every day, in every person you meet, and just, like, like this movie. Quinn, what are you doing? Oh, you're playing with Jeremy's shoelaces. Oh, you silly kitty. <laughs> Those are his new shoes, by the way, Quinnell. Like I said... This movie shows you do not take someone or something for granted because you don't know how long you or that person are going to have. Always let them know that you love them or you care about them or, or something. Because, like I said, you don't know when you'll get to have the chance to to be able to say it again. So, have a good weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.